Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 156 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, the masterful and maniacal moods. Yeah. And of course, I have my two junior maniacs by my side. First up, we have the Mexican Monsoon, Double Shot J, a.k.a. JP. And last up, we have the Crying Freeman, representing the Burbs, 45 minutes out of Chi-Town, the Jew, Jeremy. What's going on, guys? Not your strongest intro, but I'll let you slide. <laughs> hey, fuck you, man! Who put this thing together? Me! That's who! Not the most original idea there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't come up with, like, our scalp scalping <laughs> homie or something like that. Come on, man. Gotta give yeah, because that sounded so original. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same fucking thing, Jeremy. All right. I, I, I was, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you that you tend to criticize those you do them you were original no. the last couple you were pretty good you are such a dick no all i say is all right welcome dick, everybody dick, dick, on the dick, interwebs dick, that's dick, all i say dick, like dick, an dick, idiot dick, dick, so. dude, i'm not trying to fucking reinvent bread every time i do it i have a life i don't fucking i don't i don't fucking i don't plan these things out like a week before and shit <laughs> it's like spur of the moment shit dude all right dick. but I. I'm still sick. Still? Yeah, I was sick last week on last week's show, too. Yeah. Yeah. So where the fuck were you last week, Jeremy? I was actually had a social life for once. Yeah, no, but actually, what were you doing? Besides working? No. What were you I doing? went out with some friends from high school. No, I know, but what were you doing? What, would you guys go to a club? Did you go to a movie? We went to a bar. There, there you go. It's not hard to answer, dude. Fuck. Jesus. What did you guys talk about? Uh, well, I haven't seen them since high school, so it's been like seven years. So did I you don't go, know, life stuff. Did you go to a pub or an actual bar? A bar? Wow. Crazy. You guys do some dancing and shit? Oh, yeah, because I'm totally, you could totally see me doing that. Hey, man, <laughs> I don't know. You just said friends. I don't know if these are girlfriends or guy friends or they're girlfriends. Well, there you go. So you both are so. both of them are girls. Yeah. Are you gay? No. You lie. You're a fucking liar. Shut up. I was gonna say, were you at a gay bar? <laughs> I was gonna ask. So you what are they doing in life? Did they are they rich and famous? No, but they have a more stable job than me. So what do they do? One works in real estate, and the other one does like, uh, like analytical stuff, math analytical kind of stuff. Damn. Yeah. Did you have fun? Yeah, it was okay. You lie! You're a fucking liar! Shut up! You gonna hang out with him again? Probably, but not often. So, what prompted this? Uh, I don't know. They just said that up. I haven't seen him in a while, so. Dick. It's kind of just spur of the moment kind of thing. You don't seem very enthused. Interesting. Well, well. <laughs> I'm just shocked that you guys met up at a bar. That's crazy. Were you drinking? Where else were you supposed to? I had my one beer. Dinner. You go to a restaurant. I, guess I had my was. one beer. Hmm. Crazy. So what do you guys do on the show? Talk. You should listen to it. <laughs> we, no, talked. To we talked. We um, talked. We, Actually, speaking uh, of last week's show, speaking of that last week's show, I got man, I gotta, I gotta say, 
fuck you, Brandon. And you know why I'm going to say fuck you, Brandon? Because I find out after we recorded the show that this motherfucker was sitting at home doing nothing while we were fucking recording the damn show. What? I thought he was going to a convention. He did go to the convention, but he got home early enough to fucking record. And see, now he told me that he was wasn't able to record because he's going to this convention i'm like okay so i'm thinking to myself maybe spending the night you know he's gonna do day two at the convention never really questioned it right and then so i'm talking to him after because we recorded and i was on skype and he jumped on and i was like dude and then this comes to my attention that he was actually at home i'm like what the fuck he's like i thought you guys were recording earlier in the day and i'm like dude it's friday I can't get on until 8 o'clock my time anyways. I'm like, you know this. We've talked about this like a million times. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Damn Why it. did you yell at him for not listening to you, Dead. you motherfucker? Dead. So I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking that we were going to record really early on Friday. I'm like, how is that going to work, dude? <laughs> and he's like, I didn't really. Why wasn't he home? Doesn't convention start later on Friday, like the first day? Dead. So th- did he only go for a few hours and then bounce? So well, it what, was like what 11 gathered, o'clock here. What I gathered, he got home like 7 o'clock his time, which is like 4 o'clock my time. Right? So yes. he would have had plenty of fucking time to get on at 8 o'clock when we had started. I'm just confused. And he like knows most this. Of the con- most conventions start late on the first yeah. day. Yeah. So like I said, it's going to just bounce the fuck out of there. I, I don't know. I didn't ask for the specifics, but um, – no idea. That's that sucks. We missed out having Brandon on that. That's I know. Rough. And like, I'm like, dude. So I was busting his balls. I'm like, you didn't even want to fucking do it, did you? But Especially because like we needed the help that night because I was dead, dead. <laughs> well, it would have been uh, interesting to hear what his thoughts were on at least Suicide Club, but you know, I, or but, even Coldfish. We could have had a Hall of Famer there. Yeah. Well, that was that was would have been the nice thing about having the third rating. You know, to see yeah. where those things would have stood at the end of the day. But well, from I know what you did said, watch him. You I guys did... fucking made yeah. fucking bitch at the audience to give it to me to watch it. So yeah. we didn't bitch. No, well, we not... encouraged the audience to give it to you because it's a great movie. Yeah, it's better that's... than Mikey Fish Green Screen 05. Well, Dude. anything is better than Mikey Fish Green Green Screen 05. Yeah. It's not like we're trying to get you or get the you know the Patreoners to you know give you the shittiest movie in the world. I you should be thankful for that. Yeah, you at should be like, being wow, nice. At least we're being nice. Awesome. I <laughs> don't get the shittiest movies in the world besides for Mikey Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is like at least watchable. Yeah. It's not like yeah, the true. guys who play with the green grass or other the fucking shit I had to watch. <laughs> we we had a good we had a good show with just us two though. It was a it was a fun time. Actually it turned out pretty good. It turned out pretty good. Definitely one of the yeah. more shorter shows that we've done in a long time. But mm-hmm. you know, I mean it was short. It's because, you know, obviously we news was really, really short. We didn't do dead mail. Like, it's just it's crazy when you take out those certain um, mm. parts of the show, how much it really condenses it down. But yeah, it is what it is. But I'm still saying fuck you, Brandon. Yeah, <laughs> for that. yeah fuck you. Brandon. I don't really know what oh, the hell also, he was thinking. But you, you missed. Um, basically, we accepted the terms of war from exploding heads as well, because, oh, yeah. as you know, uh, they launched a full blown Patreon assault. And I called to our listeners and basically said guys do you really want us to lose to exploding heads they oh, already beat so us now at, it's okay they are, they already beat us at the top 10s when we used to do that when jason used to post those do, do can you guys really gonna let them beat us in patreon come on well 
when you have things like non-horror picks on your fucking Patreon, it's like, Dick. what do you expect to happen? At least we keep it real and only do horror films. Dick. No, we don't, though. Yeah, but we wouldn't do a whole dedicated about? show not to horror films. Dick. Like we wouldn't well, say we, we're well, we have actually, we have before. I mean, Boy yeah, and His Dog and pretty much all the yeah. ones that you picked in the past. The uh, Blood and Ice Cream one was kind of non horror. Yeah, but not like fucking. They're probably gonna do something like uh, I don't know Star Wars or something like that. Like we wouldn't do fucking stupid shit like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, considering we when we launched the Patreon, we did have an option for a non horror show then. I mean, I think we would have. Nobody bought it, though. I just think that they're fucking way too ambitious, bro. Well, I'm not saying that... We, we we talked about that last week. We thought it was insane what they were doing, but I'm more talking about listeners we don't want to lose. You know what I'm saying? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Well, when all our tiers are fucking sold out, so... I never really took the top uh, ten. Certain tiers on our thing do not sell out. I know, but those are the lower money ones, so of course we're not going to win. That's okay. Everybody, every little bit counts. Every little bit counts. And um, also, with the, with, you know, with, uh, this is your fault. You started this war. No, <laughs> I just said that we're the number one Patreon, Dick. and we are still the number one Patreon, so. Dick. Out of two people. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. We're still beating them, so. <laughs> They're I still guess. losers. Let's see what happens after now that they launch this uh, this crazy thing here. We'll see what happens. But right. we might have bit off more than we could chew is what I'm saying. I never really took the top ten as, as losing. Yeah, sure, in theory, them or their show being at number one and ours being at number two was technically a loss. But at the end of the day, they're a bi-weekly show. They got two shows in the top ten. We would have three or four every month. It's a win for me, man. It's the way I look <laughs> yeah. at it. It's the way I look at yeah. it. Bi-weekly, man. They're not going to be able to do that shit. Well, I don't think they... They did first kind of, of stress all, on I that a little bit, yeah. Bi- I don't think theirs is set up monthly like ours, though, right? Like, they're, they're not saying, like, hey, every month we'll deliver all this stuff. It's just, like, we'll get to it when we get to but it. But isn't that more of a problem? Yeah, isn't that more of a problem, though? Because if you on adding up. Because at least if we put a limit, like... Ours is monthly, so what you give us in that month, we will get done in that month, most of the time. Sorry, Sam. But the point is, that's what we do. <laughs> but with them, with that theory of them spreading out over time, don't you think that's going to backlog itself to the point where it's like, holy shit, man, we might have to start doing more shows? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they have a plan. Maybe their plan is to, you know, if once they have a certain amount, to cut it off. Hey, man, I, I hope everything works out. I'm just... You know, if you do look at the semantics here, it's, it does seem like it could be problematic to the well, fullest. All I know is that we'll still be number one forever. So, yeah. all right. Well, you're talking a big game. Hopefully, we can keep backing it up. Yeah, oh, shit, man. Sorry. We're fucking, our listeners are super. We're number one in our own minds. Who gives a shit, man? We're okay. <laughs> we're okay. But no, I mean, I, I mean, it's it'll probably work out for him. It always does for Dave, doesn't it? Right? I don't know. We're going to have to see if Brandon goes off Columbine and loses his mind. <laughs> I think it's too late for that, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do any more Patreon shows, god damn it. Yeah. You even mentioned Patreon around him. He just he he fucking curls up into fetal position. It's really <laughs> it's really bizarre. He has PDST with the word Patreon. Yeah. It does, man. You mention it and it's like fucking flashbacks of all this arguing and oh yeah, fuck. Yeah. But um I don't know. Let's move it along. 
Sure. Dead. Do we have any news this week? We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! It's been a Jeremy, you had something very like slow, thing. very slow week. Okay. I mean, you knew about it too, and it's your segment, so. Yeah, I don't. I didn't click on it. They haven't casted the person to play Chucky in the new Child's Play film yet. So all the test, all the test screenings they've done has been just like one of the effects persons have done the voice, and they haven't even fucking casted who Chucky is going to be. And the film comes out in three months. Now, I'm not saying that they should have the fucking all the line dialogue recorded already. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's fucked up that they haven't even hired somebody to do the damn voice, and the movie's supposed to come out in three months. See, to me, a movie based around, you know, Chucky as being you know the driving force behind the movie don't you think that would be like kind of the first thing you'd want to cast to you know to ensure that you know you have that going for you key aspect yeah we'll have that going for you and then work about you know the rest of the casting and work out the other semantics of the film like don't you to me that just seems like like poor i don't know man i i just that seems really fucking bizarre to me is there well, anything about having somebody before? Did they have anybody in mind and it just didn't work out or something? Because I don't know how you go through. Well, they through. just say they want to hire an A-list celebrity for the voice. But why is this coming out now? You know, this has been in production for so long. And all of a sudden they're just like, oh, we need an A-lister? I think maybe just because people have seen the test screenings now and they know that there isn't a voice. Uh, the only thing that I could it's think is so maybe strange. they don't plan on using like – because based on like what I've seen of it, it looks more reserved than the other Chucky films. Like Chucky isn't the center of attention. It seems like it's more of like a, maybe they're not going to have that much actual dialogue. So they didn't. Well, that's, you know, that maybe. was my first thought too. Maybe they're not going to give Chucky that much dialogue. They're going to keep it a little bit more serious and not have, you know, a bunch of one liners and shit. Yeah, maybe but, it's just still, like a couple lines that they needed to punch in still. But still, man, know? like where's your like who's doing the casting here, man? You got to get on some shit, man. The movie's coming yeah. out in 3 months and you haven't even cast anybody let alone, you know, started the process of, you know, the voice acting and shit. Like ugh, that just seems bizarre to me. Money on it that this movie gets delayed. No. No. You th- I don't no. think so. No way. I don't think so. It's, it's too, too far along. Yeah. It's like looks nearly finished. I thought it would have been, but apparently not. So they're going to bring someone in, rush all these lines out, and then fucking just put the movie out. Well, I mean, yeah. let's. what if there's only like 15 lines of dialogue in the whole thing from him? You know what I mean? I mean, but 15, there's got to be more than that. There has to be. I mean, there's, there might be, but think, be. About, think about the first one, though. Like, was there really a, I mean, yeah, there was, yeah, a, there was a lot. No, there's a lot of fucking dialogue, especially in the last scenes. Like when he goes to the voodoo guy, there's a lot of dialogue there, and yeah. At the end, there's dialogue. Yeah, in the apartment, there's lots of dialogue. Yeah. I mean, it adds uh, up. It adds up. You know, you don't think there's a lot of dialogue in a film. And then, what, what, what did Jeremy say? There was, what, seven lines of dialogue in what film? And it turns out Quiet was, Place. Quiet yeah. Place, yeah. And there was, well, 60-something di- lines. 
but 60 something lines still isn't a lot for a fucking feature bro no but it's a lot more than seven (laughs) (laughs) that's my point (laughs) yeah so i don't don't know know. i think it's just fucking a bad sign already it it is a bad sign i I just find that so bizarre i I have more faith in this than anything mancini's doing next i mean they already have their dude for you know they've casted the guy for Candyman. And that hasn't yeah. even gone into you know full production yet. Well, I guess it's in production right now. But but my point is they've cast their lead. They have their guy. You know they have their star. <laughs> it's like weird to me, man. Yeah, but it's I guess it's kind of different though when it's just voice. But theoretically, it's the same thing though. They they even said they want an A list. No, because actor. you can't shoot the film without the actor, but you can shoot the film without the voice. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I just think it's weird that they're testing the film without the fucking voice. Yeah. There's there's like a whole – there's like a two-part exactly. uh, video on YouTube that's like a half an hour long that talks about uh, leaks that have come from the test screenings and stuff and and about the voice and stuff like that. I, of course, ha- don't want to watch it, but I'm curious. It's going against Toy Story, so I think it's going to probably lose pretty badly, but – Maybe we shall see. Hopefully, it's not PG thirteen. Yeah, right. I can't imagine that. I would be so, so mad. Anything going up against it, Toy Story is not good. It's not a good idea. It wouldn't surprise me if it's PG thirteen. I would laugh pretty hard. Um, us. Yeah, us is getting a lot of good reviews so far. Yeah, well, just debuted Saturday, so. Yeah, it uh, South by Southwest, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So people are saying that you know um, Jordan Peele is fucking legit after the, this one, and it wasn't just uh, f- you know flash in the pan luck with uh, lightning in a bottle. Yeah, they're like comparing it out. to fucking Hitchcock. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's only crazy. two films. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's ridiculous. Let's let's see what he does, you know, over a little bit of a time span here. Yeah, he's only made two films. Well, I mean, I, I understand that. At, listen, any t- people are looking for headlines, like they're gonna write fucking shit. But I mean, it, it's pretty cool to see so- him getting compared to si- like. Obviously, it should not have any merit when you've only made two films versus like fucking forty or something. You know what I mean? But mm. um, I, I think that you know the potential with the talent is pretty interesting to me so um hopefully i guess we'll see folks next week well two weeks yeah from when they hear this it'll be two a week yeah uh since we don't have any news i figured i would throw this out there um and get moods thoughts on this so bloody disgusting did a ranking of all of lucio falci's horror films Oh really? Wow. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw out each one and see what you thought. All right? Since yeah. your Fauci is your favorite horror film of course. director. Of course. Alright. Uh number twenty one oh, at the geez. very bottom. Door to Silence, nineteen ninety one. It's an appropriate spot for it. I mean, Door to Silence was his last film. It was very low budget. Um, I like the movie. It's not very Fulci esque. It doesn't have the typical Fulci gore. It's got a nightmare atmosphere to it, but it's it's kind of predictable in where it's going and stuff. But you think see, it's his worst film? 
No, it's not his worst film. No. Okay. Uh, number 20, Sadama's Ghost from I would I would probably say that's worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sadama's Ghost is... Uh, oh, lordy. You know, I would, <laughs> it's hard to judge... Like, again, coming back to the whole transfer thing, because... I have a really, really budget deep. Well, it has really no good releases at all. It's got a real budget DVD release, and the the transfer sucks. It's really shitty, but it, it's kind of got this throwback Nazi thing going on to it and shit. And it's got some interesting ideas, but I've only ever seen it once, so mm. it's hard to really. But I just remember it being pretty shitty. So okay, number nineteen, the Sweet House of Horrors from '89. <laughs> oh, TV film that Fulci did. Um, uh, it's not good. It's really it, it's 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 in a very appropriate spot. Yeah. Number eighteen, the House of Clocks from eighty nine. House of Clocks. Wow, I'm really shocked to see that one so low or high on the list. I don't high, low, whatever you want to say. Um, I I like that movie, man. That's a good one. Actually, a lot of people really enjoy that one. All right, number seventeen, Dominia from nineteen ninety. Demonia. Um, yeah. Again, a good idea, not Fulci's best work. It's it's that weird transitional period, you know, after he got sick when he was doing uh, Zombie 3, and he kind of came off, and his films really kind of lack that Fulci-esque style to them. That that one's okay, though. It's definitely not one of his worst. Number 16, Enigma, 1988. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I've reviewed this movie a couple times in the past, and it's, it's Fulci-like. It's got that Fulci atmosphere. It's got that gore, but it's got some of the most nonsensical scenes ever in it. It's ridiculous. Storyline is very paper thin, but it's, uh, um, it's, I would probably, it's one of my least favorite for sure. Actually. Number 15, break it into the top 15 voices from beyond 1991. Horrible. Honestly, honestly, that is, one, that is one. I think that one right there is right. Should be right at the bottom. It's wow. a, it's a bad, bad movie, man. Really, really bad. All right. Yeah. Number 14. 1988's Zombie 3. <laughs> well, I think everyone knows my feelings about this. I love Zombie 3. I mean, oh, we talked about it many, many times. And, you know, the th- the thing about F- Zombie 3 is that, you know, Bruno Matthias says that Fulci did about 70% of the film. You know, and he had to film because Fulci got sick at the time. You can tell the stuff that Bruno Matthias incorporated into the film. But overall, it's good, man. It's got a nice score to it. It's It's... Fulci-esque, and I think that's just way too... It could be higher, for sure. Number 13, 1990s, A Cat in the Brain. Cat in the Brain, number 13. Yeah, I mean, that's about where... It's not one of Fulci's best. We've talked about it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's got got a decent idea. I like the idea of the film, but it's it's not his best work, for sure. Yeah. Number 12, Touch of Death from 88. Touch of Death is fun. Again, it's a very odd... Fulci film it has its moments it's got some decent gore and shit in there uh touch of death i think was actually sampled in uh, uh cat in the brain and stuff along with some other films that he produced and things but it's it's okay it's it's about where it should be it's a good film all right no, number 11 murder rock dancing death from 84 now murder rock is a trippy film man because it's almost bloodless for a fu- and f- for somebody that's known for their gore and it's very, it's like Fulci's version of Flashdance. In a sense, it's very 80s aerobic dance kind of, it's, 
I like Murder Rock. I think it actually kind of kicks ass for what it is. I just wish he had gone the gore route. I think the producers at the time when he was making that film wanted him to not make that gory film. So he just didn't do it, which, mm. which I think that hurts the film because this is like a perfect film to have gore scenes. But it's it's a fun film. I like it. Number 10, Manhattan Baby from 82. <laughs> Dude, I, Manhattan Baby, man. You know, rewatching it again for the 82 show was probably – it's probably – I liked it the most. I liked it. You know, I've seen it a bunch of times. <laughs> it was probably the most I liked it in a long time. It has a lot of good ideas, but man, I think it should be definitely higher on lower on the list. It should be. It's not. It, no. Not really. <laughs> Number nine. Not in the top. Another nineteen eighty two film, The New York Ripper. Well, New York Ripper is like obviously one of my favorite movies. It was my number one from eighty two. So, <laughs> but this but this is where it gets tough, man, because you get in the top nine, and this is where it's it's really even for the you know hardcore Fulci lover, this it's hard to rank these films. So no, number eight, 1981's the black cat. Wow. You know, that's interesting. They have the black cat so high. I mean, it's a story that's been done a million times. It's obviously a Poe story. Uh, Fulci's vision of it is interesting, but no way it should be in the top 10. In my opinion. Mm. No. Number seven. Don't torture a duckling from 1972. Excellent film. One of the most overlooked giallos, I think, I don't know why Fulci doesn't get credit for this film. I mean, Arrow obviously did um, give it the credit that it deserves by giving it a nice addition and stuff. But uh, it's an excellent film. Deals with some really taboo subject matter. Even for the times, you know, it doesn't matter where you were putting this film out, whether it Italy or North America. The, the subject matter is disturbing. And, you know, and it's one of those films you probably couldn't get away with making today. It's an excellent film. Number six, a lizard in the woman's skin, nineteen seventy-one. A very, very visual and versatile, vivid, beautiful, beautiful fucking giallo. Another one that doesn't get the credit it deserves. It's gotten some decent releases recently. Uh, Mondo Macabro put it out and gave it its justice, but uh, it's a great film. It, it deserves to be where it is. Breaking into the top five, number five, nineteen seventy-seven, The Psychic. Yes, excellent film. And I'm glad they're giving it its props too, man. It's another great Fulci film. And actually, a lot of people that worked on that film think it's Fulci's absolute best film. Hmm. Yeah. N- number four, 1979, Zombie. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be in the top five somewhere, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, it, it has bad worm placement, but you know. <laughs> what, what else can you... Yeah. Here's the big surpriser. Number three, The House by the Cemetery, 1981. You know, I was wondering when this was going to come up because, you know, I think it's a great movie. I mean, it obviously is plagued by the the dubbing of Bob. And that's kind of the one thing that everyone kind of, especially people that aren't too familiar with Italian films, like, man, that movie's fucking terrible. I'm like, what, the dubbing on Bob's voice? Yeah, man. I'm like, what about the movie itself? You know, it kind of overtakes what people are seeing in the film. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I if I put House by the Cemetery that high. I don't think it's a better movie than you know the Psychic and and uh, Don't Torture a Duckling and things like that. But it's one of my favorites, though. Uh, number two, my favorite Fulci film, City of Living Dead, nineteen eighty. Yeah, it's where it should be, man. You know, definitely somewhere in that top one to five. Yeah, I love City of Living Dead. It's mm-hmm. music. Oh, the gore is just everything. It's such a cool film. 
And finally, no surprise here, 1981's The Beyond at number one. Wow. Yeah, my favorite um, Fulci film. I mean, it's my second favorite movie of all time. It's, uh, can you say, man, it's The Beyond. I think it deserves its number one spot. For sure. All right, well, that was fun. 21 films. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and we've only done six of them, I think. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Yep, only six. He does, he does, he did a lot of really good horror films, you know, really. I mean, even when you get into the, you know, the bottom end of them, they're still decent. He's only really done a couple really shitty ones. Like, really, really shitty, like, to the point where you're like, oh, (laughs) six, man, Jesus. But, uh, you know, I mean, for doing 21 horror films and having that type of output of decent films is... Got to give credit where credit's due, right? Yep. So that was cool, man. I didn't even know they put that out. Fuck. Yeah, I read it. It was pretty cool. Hmm. Well, at least I, you know, that would have been embarrassing if I hadn't seen one of them. <laughs> yeah, no, you killed it. I was wondering if you had. <laughs> well, I own every sense that he's seen all of them. <laughs> I, I, I own every one of them, and you know, even some of his non-horror stuff, like uh, The Exorcist. Um, I don't Devil's know. He's t- He's done, he's done a couple of films that are, like, really, they're almost, like, dark comedies and shit. Just like every Italian director, kind of dipped into lots of different um, subgenres and shit. But he started out as, you know, doing comedies. That's what he did through the 60s and shit. He did lots of comedies and weird shit and then got into making giallos because that's what was popular at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. But a lot of those early films by Fulci don't have releases. So I haven't seen very many of those, unfortunately. But it's weird when you watch a movie that wasn't a genre film, like just a comedy or whatever. It's like it's you watch and you go, what the fuck, man? Like, it's so weird to see Fulci doing shit like that. But it happened. So. Yeah. Too bad I have nothing to contribute to that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that was uh, that was. Um, faulty talk right there. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, I guess moving along out of well, actually no. Before we move along, we're gonna do the pet cemetery drawing. Yeah. So um, we have a we last month we gave away a copy of Suspiria on Blu-ray. Our homie Mister Muscles, the Muscle Man, oh, the legend, yeah. the Muscle Man, won it. Uh, and we said that we would give away a 4K, uh, which also has the Blu-ray, I believe, copy of Pet Cemetery, um, which is about to be released, I think. Um, the end of March. Yeah, so um, right, right at the end of the March, you'll get it, but we'll do the drawing for it now. Uh, and also, we're going to announce what we're giving away for the March drawing, which technically this... This one's the February drawing, yep. and then in April we'll do the March drawing. Yep, it's always a month behind. So, um, everybody who uh, joined the Patreon in February, um, we have Chad Cooper, Taylor Heidier, Ratchet Command, Mark Letham, Johnny Pentagrast, uh, Rob Hankins, Tone Joker, Michael Fisher. Mikey Please Fish. don't be Michael Fish. <laughs> uh, Jelly Bane, Aaron uh, Corville, Ethan Mitchell, Fan Vili, James Cox, Geno Cyber, uh, Mr. Muscles, <laughs> uh, Dave, 
aka Mr. Parker, uh, Tyler Tadio, uh, Tony Hartman, Derek Bourgeois85, Christopher DeZubia, Tony Arario, uh, Lawrence Miller the Fourth, Dustin Baker, Carly, our stalker from Norway, Peter. <laughs> Uh, Andy Zavala. Hi guys, it's me, Peter. Lucius Blackwood, uh, TJ Franks, Matt Jankowski, Marco, uh, Jonathan Wilhelm, Lurt Six, uh, Danny, Michael Vault, Blaine Bartlett, uh, Amanda Wingelnick, who gets two entries this time, uh, Dub Doubles, Michael Kemp, Kuno Moore, M- M- Mo Jensen. Emily Dara, Joey Plesh, Benjamin, Luis, Antonio, Tyler Jones, Connor Curran, Action Jackman, Matt Wells, Paul Garcia, Exploding Heads, and Kill the Cast. Okay, wow. okay, so these are all the contributors? Yeah. I thought we were naming off everybody in the Facebook group. <laughs> right? Well, that's 50 people, bro. Damn, dude. Uh, we have, like, I don't pay attention to the Patreon at all. I probably should more. I really don't, but that's crazy. Yeah, Holy 50 shit. Damn, dude, that's fucking nuts. Yeah, wow, it's it's, it's truly amazing. It makes me feel so special. That is not that even is... Ge- not not even being sarcastic. Like, oh, oh too bad exploding headstones didn't have that many people supporting them. Oh god. <laughs> oh, this guy's stirring the fucking huge I know. Uh... <laughs> cauldron, man. You said you started a war. He's got a no, you started a war. He's got a fucking <laughs> paddle in this motherfucker, man. <laughs> oh god. All right, so ra- randomize away. Uh, maybe next month I'll do it on a live stream again. I really wasn't feeling up to it, though. Uh, so the winner is... Oh, my God. Oh, You're not going to believe it. it. Don't say Mikey Fisher. No, it okay. is Amanda Willen Link. What? She won two months in a row? I No, dude. I swear to God, I'm not rigging this at all, bro. Oh, my God. You know, someone's, you know the first thing someone's going to say is, you need to get a new randomizer. Dude, it's a downloaded on my phone. I She did have two entries, but still, that's still like only like a two and 50, 50 shot. But, wow. Uh, hey, listen. She won last month and decided to pass since she owned the release already. And our homie... Uh, Crazy. muscle man on it so i i mean i it seems like i would plan it this way to where she would win just to be nice but i swear to god that this was 100 percent random unless the randomizer is some bullshit um but, but yeah it just for the purpose of you know in case she has the release or whatever amanda uh ratchet command and then Orin, aaron carvel was uh one two and three so I doubt she has it pre-ordered or anything. She could just cancel it if she does. But yeah, so you are the winner of the 4K Pet Cemetery release. I swear I didn't rig that. Guys. You know, I think people are going to start questioning this randomizer thing because of all the top ten years. You know, the, I know the, the, the maybe uh, I do need to the get the O2s and 82s and fucking weird man, 76, 86, 96. It's weird. That is trippy, but congratulations on winning that. I Amanda. want that. I want that too. Really? Just you want a 4K? Oh. Look who's getting into the 4K game. <laughs> I, was, I don't want no fucking 4Ks, man. I was fucking just being nice. It's no. such a good cover, though. <laughs> you really want it. You just don't want to admit it. No. 
Okay. All right. So, uh, what do you guys want to give away next month? We so far, I'm looking at Wacko or the Children from Vinegar Syndrome, or maybe Next to Kin from Severin. Mexican. Mexican. Yeah. You guys want to do Next to Kin? Mexican. Yeah, we'll do Mexican. All right. Uh, so anybody who joins the Patreon in the month of March will be entered to win next of kin next month. Also, I have uh, a handful of digital copies to give away on the Patreon. Um, any digital copy that I get goes to the Patreon. So, um, Hold up, hold up, hold up. I thought we stole this idea from Exploding Heads. We're still allowed to do this? <laughs> <laughs> We're still allowed? Yeah. Said a yes? Okay. Uh-oh. Just want to make sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, but so uh, yeah, keep a look, keep on a lookout for those digital copies. Um, I will be posting them. Yeah, you know, I, could, I could probably put a lot of digital codes on there, but the problem is that they'd be for Canadian people. That's you okay. Know? I've posted Canadian ones. Oh, have you? Okay, well, just, I'll take just a look, one. Cause I... Yeah, because <laughs> the Blair Witch Blu-ray that I got was uh, a Canadian release for some whatever reason. Oh. So. <laughs> I wonder if those work on U.S. No, they don't. Oh, oh, that sucks. Oh, well. It's crazy that... There's got to be some Canadians out there. Digital codes are region locked. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. But 4K isn't, apparently. Yeah, 4K isn't. so random. It doesn't make any sense. Speaking of 4K, you see Dog Soldiers is coming out in 4K? Oh. Germany? Wait a minute. Dog Soldiers looks like trash on Blu-ray. I know, well, it's coming out in 4K in Germany. Dude, I'm so tired of the German fucking releases being posted. I do not give a fuck. I do. I just thought, Ger- I just Germans thought it was do. Funny. They do good releases, man. I just thought it's funny. Really dog, cool yeah, dog soldiers. Dog soldiers. I'm definitely not even thinking twice about grabbing that. <laughs> yeah. Don't really care. So, But yeah, so that's uh, the end of that. Fucking thing sucks. Let's move this along into some Bob box office brawl. Uh, let's get ready to rumble for this week. What do we got going on? Well, we're gonna recap the one that we didn't recap last week. Oh uh, yeah, since Jeremy wasn't here. Fucking bullshit. So Greta, Jeremy says four point five million, and I said. 5.75 million and mood said 5.5 million and it came in at four million four hundred and eighty one thousand nine hundred and ten dollars so jeremy was like literally like 20 like nineteen thousand dollars less than off 19, brawl champ 2019 box off brawl champ it's only march buddy it's only yeah, like march. 10 months left man this shit can it'll, sw- it'll swing its way it'll swing its losers way. losers so uh, that was like puts a million score, off. Uh, it's three to two for me and moods. He picks up a point on me. Uh, three. Jeremy has three. I have two in me versus him. And then Jeremy has three and moods has two in. So moods is losing both of them. I'm losing one and winning one. And Jeremy's winning both of them. Yeah. yeah. Points a point though. I'll take it. Yeah. All right. So this this for the uh this next week we have us. March 22nd. <clears throat> us. 
Now coming out on IMAX. Jordan oh, Peele's Us. Yep. So I have to go first since I won. Yep. 52.5 million. Jeez. 52.5? Yeah. Where the hell did you come up with that number? I just picked it out of my head. Bids? A 52 and a... Wow. How many... I don't know. It seems really high. But... It's Jordan Peele, bro. That shit's hot. I know, but how, how many cinemas is it playing in? It's too, it's too late, too far out that it says. It doesn't say yet? It doesn't say it. I wonder if it's getting like the 3,000 plus. I oh, get, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised considering, you know, type of buzz and... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to take that into consideration. Um... Wow, fifty-two, man. Maybe I—I I got a feeling this is gonna do pretty good. I'm gonna go with fifty-five-five. Uh, higher than me. Yes. Thought about it for a second. I think it's gonna do really well. Like oh, really, really God. fucking well. Plus, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Thirty-five hundred. Cinemas, man, it's got that extra fucking, that extra fucking powwow for, for, for money. Yeah. Yeah, this one's gonna get the royal treatment, man. Dude, that's insane. I I don't I don't know, man. Like y'all got me all fucked up now. Why well, say what's your number, bro? You got to think though, man. I mean, he's coming off a of Get Out. So much buzz about that movie. Him himself. <laughs> This movie, but, but does the mainstream know about that? Yes. Well, they should know. Do they know like Jordan Peele? Do they? Yes, know- dude. They know Jordan Peele. Uh, yeah. Why are you laughing? That's because it's like a clear as shit answer, dude. He won a fucking Oscar. Yeah, but dude, does the mainstream watch the Oscars? Yes, dude. Hundreds of millions of people watch the Oscars. Hundreds of millions. Yeah, hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions of people. Hundreds of millions, yeah. I can't. I, I can't even. I can't argue with them because I just don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I would assume a lot of people probably watch Academy Awards. And get out. Just. I mean, I talk to so many people. What did you say? Fifty-five point five. Fifty-five five. Yeah. yeah. Five five five. Oh man. What did it make opening weekend? Over a hundred. Oh yeah, that was that, okay. <laughs> uh, so Get Out made thirty three point three million. I wonder how much this it is actually made. Probably going to do better. Dude, I have no fucking idea, man. Uh, I'm going to go fifty two point. <laughs> 52.4 such bullshit I just can't see it doing over 55 I could be wrong so All right, I'm just going for the under I'm just saying what I read off Fandango pre-sales already bro so you're fucking cheating I'm not cheating Are I'm you doing looking research at... 
Oh, dude. This Deer research is code name for cheating. He's like, oh, he's I like, I, I was like, where'd you come up with that number? Just oh, because I just you pulled look, it out of my head. Just because you look at pre-sale numbers doesn't mean that during the fucking release that's going to hold the same. I know, but I'm just saying, bro, that's like some bullshit. Hey, you could do it too. I don't want to do it. I'm trying to base it off of my knowledge. Well, we'll see who's going to win. All right. Well, I've been going yeah. higher every time, so <sighs> I guess I'm going to go low this time and see what happens. I think Moose is going to win, to be honest. Yeah? I think yeah. so. Well, I, you're I, you're I really in a shitty spot. I know. You are. But that's what happens when you go first. Sometimes. Sometimes, but last time you went first and I went above both of you guys, so. Yeah. Like I said, <clears throat> I think it's it's going to do well. I think so too. Say, I wouldn't be surprised. I just don't. I just didn't really see any buzz for it besides in the horror community. Like I, I don't. Sixties. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, but I just I felt like when Get Out was coming out, it had like massive buzz. I just not feeling it for us, even though I think it looks like it looks cooler than Get Out did when I saw the trailer at Get Out. I'll still never forget how. When Jeremy said that the Get Out trailer looked like he's like that movie looks so retarded. I thought it did look retarded. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> because it, that's because he saw a black guy's lead and he was like, ugh. Oh my god! Another one of these fucking movies. Jesus. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> well, you should have watched Traffic last year. That movie was fucking horrible, and that had a black lead in it. So, okay. Moods like Traffic. I don't understand why. Yeah, that I didn't mind. Sucked. I didn't mind it. It was okay. Yeah, it is what it is. I thought it was crap. Yeah, this will be interesting to see how us turns out. Guess yeah. only time will tell, my friends. It will only tell, but yeah, Jeremy's mm. in a rough spot for this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's move it along uh jeremy you got uh some dead mail for us this week you've got mail yeah buddy all right so let's do some dead mail this time we're talking about a letter sent from issue number nine the famous issue number nine this is when fangoria dropped the star log percents star log was a magazine that the production uh company of fangoria ran before they made fangoria it's a sci-fi magazine so this is the first episode first issue where it was just fangoria by itself and i'm bringing this one because in issue number seven there was a whole spread about maniac and the effects done by tom safini and this issue has a few uh comments about those articles and uh some bashing against uh, Fangoria for running some of those images that were in that magazine because it was still a sci-fi magazine at that time. But on this cover, we have uh, good old Farmer Vincent Motel Hell with the pig mask. Oh, movie. And then we have a special preview of The Howling. So The Howling hasn't even came out at this point. Wow. And uh, a look at Terror Train. Fuck. And this issue is from... November of nineteen eighty. Do they have a do they have a little piece of um David Copperfield in there in Terror Train? <laughs> no. 
All right. So the first letter comes from Mark Willingham, and he writes, Fangoria, your last issue was fantastic, especially the article about Maniac, though it wouldn't hurt if you cut down the gory pics a little bit. I was very (laughs) disappointed when I couldn't find your section on fantastic art. I hope that you don't plan to exclude it from future issues. I thought these features were marvelous. So this guy was reading a horror magazine, and he didn't like the fucking bloody pictures in it. Like, what the hell? Pure laughable. Yeah. Pure laughable. It, well, it's even it's even more dumb that he's like, I loved your article on Maniac. Wish you would have cut down the gory pictures. So, so do you want to see Maniac or not? So like, he, yeah. he he just wanted to read about the gore instead of actually seeing yeah. it. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you see the fucking movie, buddy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> what a fucking idiot. Come on. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people who are pissed off at Fangoria in this. Dead mail. So next up, we have a letter from a John Landis from Universal City, California. John Landis? And he writes, Dear Bob, thank you for your interest in my odd career. An American werewolf in London begins shooting this February in England, and I'm pleased to tell you that Rick Baker has been working for the past two months preparing the rather extraordinary makeup and special effects we will be using in the film. As for Creature for the Black Lagoon, we have a screenplay by Evan Kim that I am happy with. But until Universal Studios decides that fish men make money, I'm afraid the project is in limbo. Keep up the good work at Fangoria. I I do have one small complaint, however. Gore, for its own sake, quickly grows tiresome. Please try to refrain from repeatedly printing the most gruesome stills you could get your hands on. Fangoria, famous monsters, cinefatigue, Starlog, etc., all serve the wonderful purpose of reassuring me that I am not the only crazy one. So even Mr. John Landis is pissed <laughs> off at Fangoria. Dude, going back to this fucking uh, this Fishman shit, the, he, I didn't know he had a fucking script right, going for that. Make a creature from the Black Lagoon yeah. sequel. So him. It was a sequel uh, or was it a remake? Fucking Guillermo del Toro. Like, how many people have had their hand on? Yeah, I know. That's uh, what. I, uh, I, Gilman I, remake. Yeah, I know that there's been lots. Of, I didn't know about the Landis though. That's crazy. Me neither. That's that's an interesting little tidbit of knowledge, huh? Yeah, that's crazy. He had, he had to write in and complain about the gory images. Yeah, right before he shoots American Werewolf in London, which is super gory. Yeah, that's funny. It's called Fangoria. Yep. How are you not supposed to have bloody pictures in it, bro? It's a horror magazine. Well, Don Hicks from Culver- Carson City, Nevada, he's pissed off too. He writes, okay, you went way overboard in issue number seven. I mean, the Friday the 13th scenes in number six were okay, but those maniac scenes were totally repulsive. What makes you think there are any normal person wants to see that scalping effect? In the movie, fine. If anybody wants to show out money for that garbage, they could see it. Keep showing such totally sick scenes and I'll stop buying Fangoria. I'm sure many people will agree. Well, I've said my piece. Hopefully you'll take this into consideration when Zombie or some other such garbage comes out. Dude, the year 1980 was filled with pussies. I don't understand. So this PC generation started back then? (laughs) Apparently. This makes no sense. You are buying a whore magazine. Yeah. Like like JP, you know, stated, it's called Fangoria. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, this is... It's supposed to pique your interest and in watch. You're going to end up watching these movies. So these guys are complaining about the gore being in these magazines, but they don't give a shit about it that it's in the movies. The fuck yeah, is the difference? It makes no fucking what sense at all. What is the difference here? You're, re- you're buying the magazine to read about these movies that you're going to eventually watch. 
but you're getting repulsed and upset to the point that you have to write a fucking letter to a magazine called Fangoria about the gore that they presented to you? This yeah. this this makes fucking no sense to me. Why would you even take the time out of your shitty ass PC life to fucking do that? I, yeah. I just I do not understand this for a second. It's like if they if they've obviously watched horror movies before, read about gore. I mean, this is why you're here, man. This is why you're buying the magazine, and you're going to complain about it. Holy flying fuck! So I, I can't wrap my head around this, man. This makes no sense. There, it's it's fucking phony, man. It's different if Fangori was, you know, printing pictures of real decapitations and scalpings and shit like that. These are effects. Man, Savini should be proud of himself right now. Yep, he got all these people pissed off. <laughs> all right. Uh, Ray Byrne from Fista, California writes, Dear Fangoria, it all started on a Saturday morning. I walked up to the lady in the glass ticket booth and I said, One for The Shining. She smiled and said, How old are you? I turned away mumbling. 18. I'm 18 years old. Well, she said, do you have any identification? I said, nah, it's in my car. She looked around a bit and said, well, okay, go on in. Ryu, I thought I sure fooled her. The theater was about half full when I walked in. I took an end seat on the left-hand side. Well, here I am to see The Shining rated R. Maybe I should leave. I feel weird. No, it's too late. The lights are dimming. I'm trapped. Well, I'll never forget that Saturday. It was sheer terror. Jack Nicholson's face runs through my mind every time I go to bed or if I am home alone. Why don't you give us innocent movie go or some kind of warning before we go sneaking in? Wait, he was 18. Couldn't, well, this motherfucker's better than the one I was talking about the last time when he was trying to sneak into Friday the 13th. <laughs> but the warning, let him see it. But the warning is the rated R. Yeah. That's the warning, dude. It's rated R for a reason, most well, likely. Well, like I said, at least this guy had more balls than that other little kid from a few weeks but ago he who still had to complain about being scared after watching the shining the warning was there already yeah you don't fucking, there's reasons why there's ratings on these movies wasn't rated g dude get over it the fuck do you think yeah. you're walking into oh man all right Unreal. last up is one from mitchell b craig and he also writes about the shining and he says Fangorio Folk, Newsweek called Stanley Kubrick's The Shining the first epic horror film. The first epic horror film, my ass. I forked over three bucks to see this epic and it came out <laughs> three bucks. I forked over three bucks to see this epic and came out feeling like a prize sucker. It was fortunate that I read the novel before I went. Otherwise, that I would have felt like a total one fool. Problem. Yep. Specifically, The Shining is constructed very much like that DC-10 that crashed in Chicago. It starts off very smoothly, then the engine comes loose, flips over the wing, and comes down the plane. Kaboom. The acting, for want of a better word, is on the same level as the monsters. Jack Nicholson <laughs> doesn't. What the fuck? Seriously? He just Jack compared? Nich- <laughs> yep, to the monsters. I guess uh, Jack Nicholson is like a good what? old mo- fucking Herman Munster. That doesn't- what the fuck, dude? That doesn't even- that's not comparable at all. Yeah. Ridiculous, man. Uh, Jack Nicholson does an excellent Steve Martin routine, and if they ever remake The Bride of Frankenstein, Shelley Duvall is a natural for the part. (laughs) 
When Duvall wiggles the baseball bat at his stalking Nicholson, I was yelling, damn it, give me the bat. The only professional acting in The Shining comes from Danny Lloyd, who should get a special Oscar for preserving the face of Nicholson's clowning and Duvall's whining. Lloyd's portrayal of a little boy with a power he can't truly understand or control is wonderful. I wish I could say something about Scatman Cawther's role, but he wasn't in the film long enough to make a difference. Oh, there are good few things in this $20 million debacle. The steady cam work, Danny Lloyd, Wendy Carlos' music, the opening titles, and the rotting corpse sequence. But all this does not justify a film that, for all the money poured into it, turns out to be a dead puppy. Well, Did he just say the best actor in the film I, was fucking Danny Lloyd? Like, yeah, yeah my he, least favorite. Dude, the, what the fuck is wrong with this person? He just compared Jack Nicholson's what? acting to fucking... You know what? You know what I hate about like That's funny. certain reviews. Like he didn't really point out anything that he didn't like. Yeah. Like, what was his biggest problem with the film? What is this? The Howling review all over again? <laughs> like, all he says is a bunch of shit about the movie. Yeah. You know, all he's saying is like, you know, Shelley Duvall whined and fucking. He didn't really say anything. Yeah, I mean, at least if you had to point out the fact, he's like, oh, well, Jack Nicholson was overacting when he was, you know, trying to kill fucking Wendy, blah, 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 you know, that scene. You know, I mean, point out specifics at least. Yeah. Oh, he's nothing but a bitch. So that is that. That is dead mail. Oh, that's dead mail? Yeah. That's the end. I'm actually quite surprised that he didn't go into comparing the novelization to the movie. Yeah, since he was so into the novel. Because he, you know, he did bring up the Scatman character, and yeah. you know, in the in the book, he he lives. He lives, right? Yeah. I know that was always a huge complaint that a lot of people had from the novelization to the movie yeah. is that he fucking dies, and it's like, well, that doesn't even make sense. But you got to look at Kubrick's visions a little bit differently, though. Mm-hmm. He plays a different role in the book, so. But yeah, cool. Well, that's uh, that's. The end of Bob. And Dead Mail. We already finished Box Office Brawl, you dumbass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was Dead Mail. Fuck, no. I was looking at my shit here and reading Box. Ah, <laughs> fuck me. Who's right. the dumbass now? Me. Yep. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for? If not for shedding. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Have you checked the children? Children. What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Alright, yeah, moving along here. We're gonna get into some dub dub dub. It's what we watched. Who wants to start us off this week? Jeremy, why don't you start us off since you weren't here last week? All right. I'll start off with a Patreon pick from, I think this comes from that guy who gave you uh, Jelly Bane 801 From the year 2005, we have Doom starting the man who saved Hollywood himself, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Hollywood's biggest star. So this was early on in mr dwayne johnson's movie career still pretty much a wrestler full-time at this point but 
he decided to go make movies like the Scorpion King and now he made Doom and The Runaway which is actually a pretty good movie not The Runaway is that the name of it with the movie with Stifler The okay. Rundown The Rundown that's yeah, the name of it The Rundown that movie's actually pretty good but anyway Doom so this is you know, video game adaptations were a bit hot at this time. Resident Evil was already a well-established franchise at this point with three films. And Universal wanted to get their hand in the game. So they decided to adapt Doom into a film. You know, it makes sense. It's a pretty adaptable uh, video game series at this point. Doom 3 came out during the same year, or a year before. I think it came out in 2004. So. And that was a very well-respected, popular game at the time. So Universal decided this is probably a good time to cash in on the franchise name, and they pumped out Doom. So what do I think about Doom? Doom is a generic fucking narrative. I mean, it's it's all these fucking movies that we have a group of military army people go to a foreign planet base where it's being run around with monsters, and they have to pretty much save the base and battle all these infective monsters who are running over this base. Super generic, seen it in Aliens and Mimic and all these other fucking movies. I mean, it's a very super generic narrative, but that's basically it. You know, we follow Dwayne Johnson plays like the leader of this military group and they get uh, assigned to go to Mars to this base where basically all the Doom games take place, particularly the third game. (coughs) And they get sent to this base and uh, there's these medical experiments going on. And they learn that uh, an outbreak has broken out on this base. And their job is basically to try and stop it to make sure it doesn't spread to Earth and kill mankind for all humanity. And uh, Carl Urban is the supporting actor in this film. Well, I guess he's the main actor. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the supporting actor. But, um, yeah, it's basically them just going around trying to stop this, uh, this outbreak on this base. But the interesting thing is, you know, this movie tries to do a little bit of something different at the end of the film, the last 15 minutes of it. And that's what the movie is basically, you know, remembered by is the fact that they do a first person perspective in the last 15 minutes or so during the climax, the, you know, the big climax of the film. And, you know, at this time, we really haven't seen films, you know, do that. Of course, this is years before Hotel Inferno and it's even more years before hardcore henry which really uh dabbled in this idea of shooting a film completely in first person but this movie you know at this point you know they had the uh, technology to do it and i mean it's it's not revolutionary but at the time it's pretty uh remarkable what they did with the way that they shot the end of the film made it feel like the video game a little bit more but you know doom is what it is it's a hella hella generic fucking narrative and it's just trying to cash in on the title. You know that it's not going to be some ball-blasting, amazing kind of film. And it definitely isn't. And uh, the narrative is what it is. And uh, it has some pretty okay lighting, but it has a lot of shitty CG. Uh, Some of the people in the monsters' suits are actually people in suits and things like that. So I give them credit that they actually have people in suits. But all the effects, blood-wise and everything like that, is completely CG, and it looks really bad at some points. But um, I saw this movie back in the day in the theaters in 2005. I didn't remember really if I liked it or didn't like it, but 
Uh, as of now, I still think Doom is a pretty average fucking movie. So I gave it a 5 out of 10. It's not like unwatchable or horrible or anything like that. But um, I think two years later when Universal did Silent Hill, I think that movie's a hell of a lot better, even though JP didn't like it the last time he watched it. But I still think it's a better movie. Um, but, um, I think it might be better. I just don't think that either of them are particularly good. Yeah. I actually think Resident Evil is better than both of them. I like Resident Evil 2 the best, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Actually. I think that's the best in the franchise, but, you know, Doom. First three. Doom is what it is, you know. It's a video game adaptation. You know what you're going to get. Seen it once when it came out. Didn't like it. Never revisited. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen it twice. (laughs) Yeah. I was not really feeling that one, so. Um. All right, well, I'm making next. a sequel, bro. It's coming out straight to DVD. Fuck all these <laughs> years later. I know. 14 years later, that's ridiculous. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I'll go next. Uh, first up here is a Patreon pick from Rob Hankins. Mr. Hankins. Who's generally pretty nice to us. Uh, this particular film coming from 2015. It's called Baskin. It is a Turkish first, film. It's the first episode of Netflix and Chill. Was it really? Yep, we did Baskin. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's um, awesome. Just don't really have a lot of movies that or horror films that come out of Turkey. It's kind of an interesting country to, to be releasing films. Uh, directed by Ken Envrenal. Envrenal. Um, he actually directed a really good film last year called Housewife. Uh, which I was pretty stoked for because, you know, his first I didn't effort. like it. Really? No. Housewife's pretty cool. Yeah, I really liked Housewife. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, different than this one, but, you know, it's still very stylistic and stuff. But basically uh, what we have in Baskin here is uh, we have a, a group of police officers. The film starts out with this group of police officers that is, uh, they're kind of in this, like, seedy restaurant-type bar thing. And they're all sitting around, I guess, not really doing their jobs, but they're telling, you know, kind of nasty ass stories and shit like that. And and um, one thing leads to another. Anyways, they end up leaving that place and they jump in their van. They're driving. It's fucking so weird in this van, too. Like, is it a fucking karaoke setup that they have in this thing? Do you remember that, JP? Uh, I don't really remember the movie, but I was just even the first time I watched this movie, I was like, "What the fuck, man!" They have like this kind of disco music. They got like this karaoke type thing all set up in there. They're all singing and shit to this music. It's really fucking strange. But anyways, they get they're in their van and uh, they get a call over the radio, and so they decide, well, they got to go investigate this uh, this call because it's kind of muffled. They don't really know what the hell is actually going on. And as they're going there, they fucking crank something go off the road, crash into this water, and eventually get out of that shit. They make their way into this house where they, they notice that there's another police officer there and stuff, and uh, basically all hell breaks loose from right there. Um, my thoughts on the movie? It is... You can tell right away that this film is very much influenced by a lot of different American films. For sure, man. There's so many types of films that you can see the influence directly put into this movie i mean right from goodfellas 
There's a scene in the opening of this movie that involves this guy that's telling this nasty ass story about hooking up with a transvestite and he realizes that the girl has a penis and he doesn't give a fuck and he still goes all the way with her (laughs) and shit. Anyways, this uh, kind of busboy or waiter comes by and he starts laughing about it. And it's that scene straight out of Goodfellas with Joe Pesci where, you know, we all know the scene, what happens in that scene, but it doesn't go that far in this one. But it's it's yeah. identical, that scene. This guy gets all pissed off at this busboy and, you know, they have the words and shit. And then, at least he doesn't shoot him in the foot. Yeah. Um, so but like this whole scene, I'm like, wow, it's like straight Goodfellas. But. Um, yeah, you can see, you can see a lot. And, you know, I even read that the director was very much influenced by, you know, certain types of films and things like that. He even, he was influenced by, uh, what's his face? Um, reference, uh, only God forgives film for, you know, kind of the aesthetic and the, and the actual look of the film. It's got similar lighting. Yeah. Like, you know, the very kind of, you know, hypnotic type lighting and shit like that, you know, which I thought was actually kind of cool. And he took, you know, influence from like frontiers and things like that. And I was like, okay. But yeah, stylistic, the film is fantastic. It's got great lighting. The cinematography is fantastic. It has this dreamlike nightmare quality to it that never lets up from the opening scene in the film right to the end. It's very interesting. Um, so what we have is basically we get – there's a rookie cop that's part of the squad, and he's having this reoccurring nightmare and stuff like that. And it kind of plays into the whole film. It, it kind of – like that storyline, you know, it comes wrapping around and stuff. Um, you know, at first, when I first watched the movie, I wasn't like a hundred, like I really enjoyed it, but I was like, I thought, you know, once they get into this house and they, they get involved into, basically they end up walking into hell and there's kind of like this Hellraiser type character, which I think is one of the most unique looking pers- people of all time. Like this like dude, a little bald headed little person. Yeah. He, he kind of, he just, when, as soon as you see him, you just instantly think of pinhead for some odd reason without the pins or the makeup. This is like, it's actual real look. There's no makeup on this guy, which I thought yeah. was just amazing. Like they found this guy for this role. It's just so perfect, but he kind of plays the Hellraiser type um, role. You know, he's there to do shit to these these officers and it kind of turns into a little bit of a torture porn and there's some real nasty scenes and things that are going on and stuff but i like the outcome of the film you know it's it's i'm not going to give anything away if you haven't seen it but you know i do recommend the movie it's pretty interesting watch it runs close to about 100 minutes i think it's a little bit long but i think for what it's doing you know it's uh it's fine it doesn't overstate its welcome and stuff there's a lot of interesting metaphors and things i know the frogs have a major significant significance into the the film's uh you know subtext and stuff like that um i'm not really much for you know dream analysis and things like that but it's obvious that those things have something in there i can't remember what frogs mean in dreams Do you guys know no but it is very significant especially in their in their mythology too in turkey mm-hmm. i know it has something very significant but you can tell there's a lot of things going on in there and stuff but uh you know, overall effects are really good. You know, I think the acting is good for what it is, but it's it's a very visual film. Very, very visual. The storyline itself and where it goes, you're like, okay, I've seen this before. I'm not going to reference the film, but I've seen this type of story before. Um, so overall, the thing's not entirely that original, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's still a really, really good film. Uh, I'm going to give it about an 8 out of 10. It's a good one check it out yeah i remember not loving that when i seen it i thought it was cool and stuff but i didn't i don't know it didn't connect with me the same i guess i don't I really remember it. did you like the, did you like the ending like where it goes 
I can't really remember what we said about it. <laughs> that was in like 2015 or something. I, I, you or know, 2016. I mean, there's there's all these kind of dead giveaways to why these police officers end up in this this hell kind of portal type thing and stuff. But yeah. I, w- I wish they had developed it a little bit more because you like you know once you get the the end result of where this film goes, you kind of think back on how it got there. And I don't think it's really flushed out the greatest. And I think that's kind of where I take off points and stuff. It's like, it leans towards, but at the same time, it's like, why all these individual people, like you you just kind of, you take away from like these cops are shitty, but they don't seem that shitty though. You know what I'm saying? But. All right. Well, uh, I don't have a time. I didn't really watch much this week. I only got one film that I watched this week, but I figured I would venture back to a couple weeks past and pull some stuff that I haven't talked about. So, uh, these are a little looser in my memory, but, um, I did watch these fairly recently. So the first one up is 1972's tombs of the blind dead. Um, I just watched this, it like a couple nights ago. Yeah. So this is a, um, this is the first in the blind dead series, which features, uh, Return of the Blind Dead, The Ghost Galleon, and Night of the Seagulls, which I believe I have seen The Ghost Galleon in the drive-in, actually. You know what I have um, to say, man? I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, the four films in the, well, the, the whole franchise, but oddly enough, The Ghost Galleon is probably my least favorite, and it's set on a boat. Yeah. Go yeah. figure. Um, this is a Spanish-slash-Portuguese film, so, um, from Portugal and Spain. Uh, it basically, okay. So it opens up in the 14th century, um, with some weirdo, like, uh, witchcrafty type of stuff going on. And then it skips forward to, I guess what would be present today. Uh, we follow the, these characters on vacation, uh, a guy and a girl, and then they run into a girl and apparently they know each other. Uh, this, this, is probably one of the weaker parts of the film is like the character development between these three is like so quick. It's just, it's barely existing at all. Uh, essentially they decide to go visit one of their, like a mannequin shop or something like that. They're friends that have not seen each other in a while and they get on this train and then very weirdly, it seems like one of them gets like jealous of the other one and like the way that they're being towards the guy, I guess they had a previous relationship or something and she's kind of like angry about it. So she jumps off of the train, like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and where this section is, is like, I guess the townspeople know that it's like a place where you don't go. There's like some abandoned village there, supposedly like haunted or something. And essentially she decides to camp out in these sort of ruins. Uh, and she, you know, puts her sleeping bag down, listening to a little bit of fucking music on her uh, Walkman and all that shit. And then she kind of falls asleep and, and gets awoken by what I think are some of the coolest looking fucking ghost zombie fucking skeleton things. I don't even know what to call them, man, but they're really rad. Uh, and they're basically just these fucking knights and they're basically after her. 
Um, the next day they find her body and her friends basically decide to go try to figure out what happened to her. Um, I, I'll say this, like it, it's definitely a film that seems a little lower budget, a little bit indie for the time, but I completely enjoyed this. I woke up really early one morning and I just decided to pop this in and I kind of just really dug it. It's very atmospheric. It doesn't have a whole lot going on, but it's really spooky and just very visually appealing, especially with the knights. They just look really cool. And, um, it's a pretty simple film, but I think that it does a lot in terms of just visual and like atmospheric enjoyment. Um, I totally dug this flick and I, I gave it a seven and a half out of 10. Yeah. The Templar Knights, man. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're some of the coolest designs for sure. Love. That I mean, movie. it's a pretty simple movie, but it's just like really creepy. Mm -hmm. And they more or less hunt by sound too, because they have no eyes. Hence the yeah, blind, the yeah, blind dead. The blind because dead. the Templars, they were basically rounded up or hunted and and killed because the Templar knights were very malicious and brutal people, and their bodies were left out for the crows to pick their eyes out. And so when they awaken, they got no fucking eyes. Which really, zombies technically shouldn't have eyes, anyways. It's it's one thing it's kind of one thing in zombie films is really bizarre you know like when you watch a zombie film and and a body rises from the grave and it's rotten you see bones and shit but the eyes are still in the head that doesn't make any sense does it yeah well it doesn't I mean technically all zombies should be like the blind dead it's weird <laughs> I don't know Jeremy all right <clears throat> next up talking about a film that was given to me by Ethan Mitchell from the year 1975. We have Solo with 120 Days of Sodom. Oh, man. So I watched this film once uh, seven years ago, probably, during my early 14-year-old days on YouTube. And, yeah, this movie is pretty infamous for being, you know, one of the most fucked-up, nasty films ever made. And, you know, it's the first time you watch it, you have to, you know, you see all these things for the first time. But when you watch it a second time, you get a new perspective. While, sure, the things are insanely nasty with people eating bowls full of shit with a spoon and a fork. Like, literally just sitting at a table with bowls full of shit and eating it off a plate. I mean, no matter how many times you watch it, it's still absolutely nasty. And there's rapes and vomit eating and everything else that's horrible and nasty throughout the film. And I know some people just love this movie so much and they expect and they respect what the director was saying about society and uh, how brutal it could be at some times. I'll talk about the plot in a minute. And it has a lot more to say than just the disgusting and nasty things that are going on throughout the narrative. I don't really think that it is too much with that. Like, sure, it has some of that stuff in it. But, you know, it's still, these kind of films are not for me, even with the, the subject matter. I mean, Crazy Murder, which is probably the most modern equivalent to this movie, has a bunch of stuff to say about homelessness and PTSD and things like that. And this film has things to say as well about what was going on in society at the time, especially in Italy and France, where this was a co-production of. But... I still don't think that makes up for the absolute horrible and nasty shit that goes on throughout this entire film. But 
uh, we basically follow these four wealthy uh, people who are living in Italy during the World War II, started World War II, and basically they kidnap uh, a group of teenagers every year and they uh, uh, subject themselves to 120 days of brutal torture and sexual assaults and rapes and uh, mental uh mental Sodomy? yeah sure <laughs> um mental distress and everything about it their main goal is to just just torture these teenagers every every 120 days and um we we get to know this main character this uh this main leader of these four people which is like a duke kind of character and you know he he's a warm guy and we we kind of um, similar to a film that we're going to talk about later on, The Cremator, he has a very similar uh, presence to him. You know, he's a very warm uh, guy that the audience could connect with him at some points in the film. But he's just such a fucking brutal, horrible, disgusting guy. But I think that's what the director's kind to say, that uh, because at certain times that we connect with him, you know, it, it, there's we feel so dirty that we feel this way against towards this guy who's clearly horrible but uh, you know it's just a terror that some people are really like this but down in the deep side you know they may seem all nice and warm and and nice but deep down inside they're just absolutely horrible fucking gross people and you know it it it's it just that those kind of things about people and uh you know you don't know who you know until you really know them kind of thing that the director is trying to say but i just don't like the nasty shit of you know, that goes on in this film, you know, I'm not a huge hardcore kind of uh, film watcher. I really don't like those kind of films. They're not really for me. You know, Moots talked about Slaughter, Vomit, Dolls a few weeks ago, and I would feel like I would probably have a very similar um, response to that film that I do with this movie. But this movie is so famous because it really was one of the first kind of films to do that and at least have some kind of artistic point behind it and i really do think that's why criterion released it and you know it, it has the following that it does but you know it's i just don't want to watch people eating bowls full of shit with a fork and being raped and mentally abused and all that kind of stuff i mean it's a very hard brutal film to watch but it still has at least some kind of artistic uh tendencies to it so i gotta give it that so i give Salo. 120 days of sodom a six out of ten not because it's a bad made film or anything like that it's just a personal uh personal preference that even a second time around it's still a fucking hard film to watch and um not for those who don't have gonads to watch this kind of stuff and the fact that it came out in 75 i mean it would be even hardcore in today's you know landscape to make a film like this so if you like those things, you've probably already seen this movie and you've probably watched it a billion times, but um, <laughs> not for me. Did you mention the director got killed right after this movie? Was, yeah. No, out? I didn't mention that, but... The movie's also I famous knew. for that, too. He was killed yeah. because of this movie. Things that what? had to do with it, yeah. It's very... It's it was hardcore it, it was film, po- Yeah, it was political shit and, you know... It just didn't sit well with some people, apparently. Yeah, I know he got murdered, but I didn't know what the reason was why he got murdered. It is because, I know that it is because of the film. It's 
political bullshit. I remember I read like something like somebody crushed their, his dick in with a bar or something or something like that. I just remember that. I know he was like they said that he was murdered by the mafia and um, he got, you know, his whole body was all fucked up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's hard to believe that this story was written by Marky Desaad in 1785, man. Yeah, I know. And it's like, yeah, it's based off the the, the book. And it's crazy to think that he was writing shit like this back then. <laughs> it just yeah. seemed really fucking messed up, man. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like something that a normal, rational person would adapt to a film. Yeah. But when you got fucking 14 people with their assholes gaped open on the screen, I mean, it's like you can only take so much of it. Lots of gay butt sex and a whole bunch of other things going along in this movie. Yeah. I don't know. Not really for me. Have Mark- you seen it, Moods? I know you said you haven't seen it. No, right? I, I've owned it for years. I just still haven't got it. It's not really something I want to just pop Watch. in and enjoy. You know, <laughs> I I don't know. I'm it's the whole shit thing, man. I don't yeah, know. man. That, I mean, this one has a really, really good, just huge plates yeah. of shit, literally. I'll, I'll pop it in one of these days, man. Uh, uh, but, you know, it actually is uh, insane how many Marky Desaad, you know, s- stories have been adapted to film because this he had a fucked up mind, man. Yeah. Real fucked up. Why? What else has he adapted fucked up wise? Marky Desaad. Well, Jess Franco yeah. adapted a bunch of his stuff and. Yeah. He's got tons, like, it, but a lot of his stuff was, you know, very sexual, very pornographic stuff. That's kind of what he was known for doing. So it kind of played into Franco's world a lot. So lots of Marky Desaad adaptations, but yeah. Needless to say, I probably won't be watching it again. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, the Marky Desaad stuff but... isn't really my favorite because it's just it's basically like watching softcore porn shit. Yeah, you know, it's not like I mean, this one's probably more one of the more uh, extreme type adaptations, you know, Yeah, dealing with that kind of harsh sexual content. But yeah, yeah I don't know, man, that that shit's definitely not. I mean, I've talked about it many times. I've never understood like sadomasochistic sex and shit. I, I, I don't associate pain with sex, you know, mm-hmm. and like all that type of torch. Like, I don't get that shit at all, man. It's fucked up. But, you know, some people that's their world, you know. Yeah, people are weird, man. Weird. Um, yeah. So, anyways, moving along here. Uh, next up, another Patreon pick. Uh, who sent me this one? Oh shit, where is it? Uh, James Couts. Mister Cock. Mister Cock sent me over one from 1996, a year that we actually did a top ten show up, and I watched it for that show actually. And it is an Asian film called Splatter. Naked Blood. JP, did you watch this one for the 96 show? I couldn't find it back then. I, I, I know that was one that I had tried to find, I think, and couldn't find it. Believe it or not, this thing is right on YouTube. It's actually, it's, it's funny, there's a couple different versions on YouTube. One is like a Spanish dub one, because there always is like a Spanish dub, yeah. <laughs> you know, like for every movie you try to look for. And uh, But the one I watched on actually, I don't know, this happens every once in a while, you'll find a film. And you look at the runtime on the video and it's like two and a half hours. I'm like, what the fuck? But it's because they uploaded it and then it replayed twice. But it's the whole uncut movie, but it just like, you know, halfway through the, it just replays itself. I'm like, okay. But I made sure before I watched it and stuff. I was like, okay. But, um, so what we have here, it's a a Japanese film. You know, it's (sighs) kind of playing off. I mean, at this time, Japan, you know, they're really noted very notable for making some fucked up shit, you know, like guinea pig films and all that type of shit. This is kind of in that realm. 
a little more tongue-in-cheek given the idea of what's going on here, but it's basically about this young scientist. He's like 17, 18 years old, and his mom is actually a doctor slash scientist also, and she's conducting experiments on these three women about birth control. And he's come up with this new serum. Uh, he, he wants to basically invent something that's going to kind of change the world, turn pain into pleasure. And so he comes up with the serum and he's like, well, I need to test it out on somebody. So he basically kind of hijacks his mom's experiments and he puts his serum into her, you know, into her syringes and shit. Anyways, he ends up injecting these women with this, this my son uh, drug that he's um, invented. Uh, with kind of disastrous results, because unfortunately it works almost too well for the women, turning any type of pain into extreme pleasure. And so what he does is he basically follows around these women and, and kind of documents what's going on in their lives and shit. It's kind of kind of voyeuristic and weird. Um, but uh, my thoughts on the movie... Oh, man, <laughs> this movie... Thank God it's a quick watch. I mean, it's, a, it's actually quite fun. It's so it's pretty funny. It takes a while to get going. There's a lot of like dialogue and shit. You know, it's a short movie. It only runs about seventy five minutes or something like that, and it takes about half the film to kind of finally get going. But when it starts getting going, these these girls start experiencing pain that ultimately turns into pleasure. There's a really great scene in this film where this girl is deep frying like shrimp or something like that. Anyway, she gets this idea to put her hand in the deep fryer. And she deep fries her fucking hand and starts eating her fingers like fish fingers and shit. It's fucking awesome, man. It looks great. But the whole idea gets really gory. It's outrageous and stuff. But you think it would be played off a little more tongue-in-cheek. It's obviously you can't take it serious and shit. But it's played more serious than it is you know, tongue-in-cheek, which is kind of funny for a film like this. Um, but uh, overall, man, it's you know the highlight of the movie is definitely... Is definitely the effects. The effects are great, man. It's 96. You know, you just, you're not getting any CG and shit like that in there. Jesus Christ, Jeremy. Holy fuck. I'm not even doing anything. I'm literally sitting here. What what is the fucking noise back there? I don't know. I'm literally fucking sitting here. (laughs) What the hell is, you fucking moving your bed again or what? I haven't fucking moved. (laughs) Okay, you had to have heard that then. I'm sitting here with my dick out, and I'm not doing anything. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I was hearing, like, some crazy-ass furniture moving again, but anyways. I haven't fucking moved. Anyways, I don't know. Um, go figure that would happen again. Jesus Christ. I totally it's lost probably me. JP and Carly fucking in JP's bed. <laughs> but you know, did say it you was you. Your... I heard it. Yeah, see, I'm, I wasn't tripping out. I was like, wow, it's so loud in my ears, man. What is that? Put your dick away. Put your fucking dick away. Come on. Um... Sorry, my balls itch, jeez. But yeah, you know, I mean, if you're if you've seen any of these kind of crazy Japanese films, you kind of know what to expect with this one. It's not as insane as you might think it is, but like I said, the highlight of the film is the effects and just the re- crazy scenes of these women basically start to mutilate themselves because it's pleasure. It gets really fucking nuts, man. It's a really fun time for the second half of the film once it kind of gets going and shit. Our main character, like the guy that created the Myson drug. He's a weirdo. He's kind of likable, kind of fun stuff. But uh, all in all, I dig it, man. Six and a half out of ten. Definitely not a top shelfer, but it's uh, it, it's interesting for the time. You didn't see a lot of these movies coming out, especially this time in the '90s. So sticks out. It's cool. JP. 
Oh. He's too busy. He didn't watch any movies this week. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Um, instead, he watched such classics as uh, Storm Warning instead of watching Patreon films. That is a Patreon film, you he, dumb fuck. He, he reviewed that last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> How am I supposed to know? I wasn't here. Um, but well, but oddly, but you're still shit. but you're still on the show though because you you kind of called it in. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So this one, this is going to be another quick one because honestly, th- this is so funny that I'm even going to try to review this oh. film because I tried to review this before and I had mids cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and is- that is the Red Queen kills seven times, oh. 1972. It's so funny, like, Dude, years so ago, funny. when Jeremy, w- when that box set first came out from Arrow, I watched uh, the Night Evelyn came out of the grave and the Red Queen kill seven times, and I met- I went to review both of them and couldn't remember a damn thing about them. <laughs> uh, it was so funny, you got, like, I, about I, a minute into it, and he's like, well, fuck, I, I don't remember anything. We're gonna have to cut this out. <laughs> yeah. Another film to review is so awesome. But this is the only other one that I haven't talked about before because I've reviewed Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things and Frogs on the show before. So this is the only other film I've watched in like the past month that I haven't talked about yet. But um, Okay, so The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. I've seen this twice now. Me and Carly actually watched this one. Um, and it opens up with these two sisters who are fighting uh, named Kitty and Evelyn and then uh basically their grandfather like stops them and we get a little uh introduced into this family painting that has a red queen and a black queen and apparently every hundred years uh the red queen kills uh seven times and uh the basically the grandfather is hoping to end the cycle uh it's like a family curse or something like that um, years later, Kitty accidentally kills Evelyn during a fight, and then uh, their older sister helps her cover it up. Uh, and then there's basically a killer who um, they think is Evelyn returning from the dead, and they are killing people. And it's basically kind of like a Giallo type. Um, okay, so. Um, Oh, also Sybil Danning's in this film. Did she kill her titties? Yeah, titties. Yeah, I believe she does. Yeah, I think she does that, yeah. Is it as good as Holland 2? Probably not. Um, Okay, so I don't really already remember. Like, this one already has left my memory, but I I remember what I felt like while watching this one. Um, I was like, wait, who's that? Wait, what is going on here? I remember feeling that the entire movie. (laughs) And... Me and Carly were even laughing about it. I was like, wait, now who the fuck is this? They keep introducing characters to you. And another problem with this one is like there's there's three and a half sisters <laughs> technically. And uh, it's like they don't really establish everybody very well. And so it sounds like, like the washing machine that we had more, to review last November. Probably. Um, you remember that? No, not really. My dude, my memory is fucking well, they, they, they introduce all those characters in the washing machine. It's just three sisters. <laughs> there's uh like you at one point you're just like, okay, there's this girl and this dude out by a car and like what? Now who are they? What do they have to do? Oh, and that okay, it turns out that person was a major player in this at the end. Um <laughs> I just remember feeling like it 
it's not a bad movie. It's just it's very convoluted in its giallo nature. Like you know how a lot of giallos can be convoluted, and and this one felt very convoluted by the end of it. Um, I wish I could really say more, but I don't remember. Like, <laughs> I, I want, the sister that dies, they basically say that she went to America when they cover up the murder. So they think that she's come back to kill, um, but they check where her body is and it's still there. So they're like, okay, what's going on here? But they can't say, you know, it can't be her because we killed her. You know, they can't tell everybody that. So, um, yeah, it's fucking, it's kind of ridiculous, but um, I, it's all right. I gave it a 7 out of 10. I got to rewatch it myself, man. I've seen it a couple times, and I just, I don't remember the specifics of, of it either. Dude, I've, I've, I've watched this, like, a couple weeks ago, and, dude, like, I, I remember being confused while watching it, but two weeks later i i can barely remember anything i do just remember that i felt like wow and i paid really close attention to it too like we were really watching it and talking about it as we were watching it like who's this person but and then we're like oh wait i get it because one of the sisters is a blonde haired girl and then another one is like a red-headed girl yeah and you're like but they're it's like a reddish blonde so they look the same kind of and then there's a black-haired sister, but then there's another. There's a twist with a sister. Does, does too. this only happen to you in Italian or foreign films? Do you ever? What? Do you ever are you ever? Because you all you. This is something that plagues you with foreign films is that you can never tell the characters apart. Yeah, because they don't. They don't fucking care. Italian filmmakers, in mainly, but other filmmakers don't give a fuck either. Like they don't, they don't try to like, that's something that I really do appreciate about American films is they really try to make sure that you can tell everybody apart. They give them each traits or they give them, you know what, man, I I do have an example, man, because for years and years and years, I always would get the two bitches. (laughs) I don't know why I just call them bitches. Fuck. That's just rude. But the two bitches from Friday three mixed up. I don't know what the fuck it is about that movie and those two bit like the one girl that's pregnant in the film and the other one, not like the dark one, like the Latina or whatever, but the other two blonde hair. I always get them fucking mixed up. So I don't know. Maybe it's, it happens in American films too. Well, I can't well, back. No, she's a part four. Well, I mean, slashers are different though, because like for the most part, these characters are throwaway, but in films like this, where everybody's supposed to have a part and honestly like i swear one of the characters is just thrown at you like halfway through the movie and you're like who the fuck is this and you just have a scene with them and i'm well see that's what that's one of the biggest problems with giallos and making you know good giallos versus mediocre to bad giallos is you try not to convolute you know the story You, you try to do the best you can and see, that's one of the play or one of the things that plagues Giallos is that exact thing is throwing characters into the mix, and it's supposed to kind of throw you off and stuff. But at the same time, you're like, who the fuck is this person? Like, w- <laughs> like what is their significance of being in the film? You yeah. know, because you, in a Giallo, you have to have an abundance of characters, or you know, if you only have like three characters in a movie, I mean, Killer has to be one of them, right? Yeah. Right, it has to allude to something within the film, you know. Unless, of course, they, you know, they do the 
for with the crystal plumage thing and they just all of a sudden remember something or forget something or whatever <laughs> that's actually funny in the all the colors of giallo they even remember that jeremy they're even making fun of yeah that idea of you know oh we just kind of throws it in oh we just remembered something now fuck you know, he's like, that's what separates the good gels from the bad gels. But yeah, but no, honestly, it, like the Italian films that I love, like your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Mm-hmm. One thing about that film is I, I can easily tell everybody apart. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it's not a huge cast of characters in that one. It's easy to follow. I mean, I won't say every Italian film that I've been 100 percent on all the care. I mean, it happens. It happens in certain films. You know, because they do, they'll introduce characters and they'll kind of come and go. And you're like, what? I did. I do. Watching it this time, I did. By the end of it, I fully understood what was going on. Mm -hmm. I have already forgot since. (laughs) But I remember me and Carly talked it out and I was like, oh, okay. So this is exact. This is what happened. Blah, blah. Like there was another sister. Blah, blah. I remember like figuring it all out. And then. Did Carly like it? Uh, Not really. (laughs) Yeah. She's not really much for Italian films, is she? No. Yeah. No, I tried. I wanted to watch Your Vice as a Locked Room because we went, we we hung out and watched like three or four in a row. Like we watched Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, Deathline, um, this, and then like Frogs or something else. And I tried to get her. I, I brought over Your Vice as a Locked Room and only have a key as well. Mm-hmm. She After we watched Red Queen Kills seven times, she was like, no thanks. I was like, no, this one's much better, I swear. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. But I'm I'm making her watch it before the show because I think I'd be surprised if that film didn't make somebody's list. I recently watched Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things again, also, and you know it's I always have the same complaint about that movie. I wish there was more zombies in it because once the zombie action gets going, it's pretty fun. Yeah, but you know what, man? It's it's very like comedic and weird. It's like quirky, like throughout most of the movie yeah it's like just the, main characters, the atmosphere it's... is like really fun mm-hmm. and like creepy and you're like holy shit i can't believe bob clark made this you know and you see what he went on to do <laughs> and then i don't know i liked it a lot more this time than i did the first time that i seen it but yeah you're right it needs more zombies yeah it just it takes too long to get going but even the zombies themselves look pretty fucking cool it does it has yeah. a good setting and shit like that it's just but it's the budget right he had like no money while he made that film, so he could only have like fifteen minutes of zombie action. But yeah, did Carly like it? Yeah, she did. Oh, really? Wow, that's cool. That's cool. Jeremy. All right. Next up, or last up for me, I will talk about Crawl Space from the year nineteen seventy-two. So back in the day, before Ronald I released a whole bunch of shit and banned moods, and other reviewers were giving those shitty movies bad reviews, they <laughs> made and released some pretty okay films. And ten years ago, in the wonderful year of twenty oh nine, they released this film for the first time on DVD, Crawl Space from the year nineteen seventy-two. Now, if you want to pick up this movie on DVD from Good Old Wild Eye, you're going to have to fork over $100 because the movie's fucking out of print and hard as shit to find. But this is a TV film from, of course, 1972. Runs about 75 minutes like most of the TV films from this year, as I've seen. And this is a pretty cool film. Um, we follow a middle-aged couple, a man and a woman. Um, they have no children. They pretty much stay to themselves um, typical american kind of couple and one day this 
man comes into their house to fix the furnace in their crawl space. <coughs> and of course, I'm not coughing because I can't remember JP. I'm coughing because I'm sick. He doesn't uh, leave and he ultimately lives in the crawl space. And this couple, of course, never having any children of themselves, they become quite fond of this man and they pretty much welcome him to stay and try to you know, accept him as one of their own and brings them into the family and invites him to participate in Christmas and things like that. Very uh, heavy character driven kind of a piece. But, uh, you know, it's a made for TV film. So you're, you don't get too many murders or effects or anything like that. It's basically a heavy dialogue based film. But this movie is really fucking cool. Um it, it, it's this guy who's living in the crawl space, a very weird, strange kind of character. He's clearly off and has had some uh, mama troubles of himself. Um, you know, he clearly hasn't had any kind of normal relationship with a mother or father, and he doesn't really fit in with society, and he doesn't know the difference between right and wrong, and these two people are attempting to make him into a normal person. But instead, he just lives in a crawl space and acts weird and doesn't get along with anybody and things like that. Definitely says a lot about, uh, you know, uh, parents who haven't had children, who can't have children, and what happens when they have to deal with that and, you know, and bringing a total stranger into their lives to live in the crawl space and the things that go along with that. Uh, I really dug this film. It's really, really cool. Um pretty fun and different and i recommend it if you guys could uh find it to check it out you can find it on youtube and stuff i don't know what the transfer is and the wild eye release if it's any better than whatever is on youtube but it's a really cool film original kind of narrative and like i said it's not crazy with the murders and the effects or anything like that it's more of a thriller kind of narrative but I really did enjoy it. Um, check it out if you get a chance. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, cool film. I, I really did like Crawl Space. Yeah, it's good shit, man. It's like yeah. 72 has a lot of uh, really solid TV films. Yeah. So. Yeah, cool, man. JP, uh, make sure you watch that one. Yeah, I, I plan on it. I know Steve... Um, Shark Extreme One was a big fan of that one. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, I wish it get re released, man. I pick it up for sure. It's kind of funny actually, because yeah, you know that was one of the very first films that Wild Eye ever released. Yep, you know, funny how it's like they've a, changed well, <laughs> over a hundred bucks. They probably couldn't afford to license out those films, so they just went the whole indie, really no budget route. Yeah, I wonder if they <laughs> stole it. Who knows? Maybe that's why I went out to print. Maybe they didn't even have the rights to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. So uh, finally here for me tonight, another Patreon pick coming from our boy D Boogie, AKA Derek. Uh Oh, sent me Marvel. over the oddest fucking movie for me to review. I, I don't know where his head was at with this one and why he wanted me to talk about this. Cause I think it must be a little bit of a joke because he knows I'm not a big fan of Marvel live action films at all anymore. I used to be when I was younger. I just I know they've gotten better and stuff. I just can't bring myself to go back and because there's like a million of them now. I'm way behind. So, but this one in particular is an animated Justice League film from 2013. Justice League: The Flashpoint Paradox. Um, 
so I mean, right there, I mean, I was kind of intrigued because you know, I, I like I said last week on the show when I was talking about Wicked City, you know, I I do really enjoy animated stuff. Like I'm kind of a kid at heart, and I still watch cartoons and things. So this, you know, I was interested to see some. You know, it's different because it's like a alternate reality, hence paradox. But um, so basically, what the the storyline in this one is, uh, you know, we're dealing with the Flash here, and uh, you know, one day he's visiting his mom's grave and shit like that and he he gets a call from the homies i think captain gold captain cold and uh you know about a break-in and it turns out it's his you know kind of arch nemesis zoom he's like the bad version of uh the flash has kind of set up this whole break-in to destroy the city and shit so they stop this thing uh the flash wakes up the next day and everything is different you know, he's all of a sudden in this paradox universe where nothing is the same. His mom's alive. Um, nobody's who they are. There is no Justice League. And Sounds like, like Happy Death Day too. Yeah. So there's no there's no Justice League. <laughs> and worst of all, he doesn't have his powers. He's not the Flash anymore. He's just Barry Allen. And so, of course, you know, we've got Cyborg who kind of tries to get everyone together, convince everybody that, you know, they're part of this elite league called the Justice League, that, you know, you guys save the world and shit. Because in this paradox universe, you know, Wonder Woman is like a fucking Viking. She's bad. She's at war with, you know, Aquaman. And, you know, there was and they're basically taking over the entire world. There was supposed to be some type of peace treaty where. You know, they were supposed to, you know, kind of get on the same side. That turned fatal when Wonder Woman chopped Aquaman's wife's head off. And they show that in the in the animated movie. It's pretty fucking cool. So, like, this paradox world is just out of control. It's crazy. Batman is dead. Batman in the paradox world is actually played by his father. Which is actually another really cool fucking thing. Some really damn cool scenes. So, basically what it is... You Dude, know, don't you know it's the it's the it's the era of the R-rated Marvel animated. Yeah, film. I gotta say, man, if this is the way these movies were all the time, I'd watch the shit out of these. This is fantastic. It's really fast paced. It's a really cool fucking story. Uh, this paradox stuff really had my peak my interest, man. I was loving every minute of this. This is fantastic shit, man. I'm not even like that in tune with DC, but I know all the characters. Actually, I'm not really two and two with cyborg but anyway cyborg kind of you know he's kind of a weird character actually i don't really care for him too much but um but yeah so you know the thing is barry allen is barry allen now he's got to get his powers back and there's this really insane scene <laughs> where he he tries to mimic how he got his powers in the first place and it's so crazy dude he like catches on fire and shit and, like, it's actually pretty funny he, like burns up and stuff and he's like okay well we're gonna try this again this didn't work so next time we do it can you put the flames out a little faster <laughs> he's talking to batman's dad uh it's pretty cool but all in all man it's really awesome man i, I love the story like there's so much plot to this and where it goes and how it you know, kind of resolve and stuff. Like we got everybody in there. Lois Lane's in there. Lex Luthor, like all the DC characters are involved. It's pretty cool. Um, great action. Fucking it's gory. I think it's rated PG 13. I think is the rating on this. Yeah. I think that's what it is. So yeah. So it's got like a little bit of gory scenes and things like that. So that's pretty cool, man. But I love the story. The story was fantastic and how it resolves its stuff. And the battle with zoom, the flash and shit. I love the fact that, you know, zoom was, could withheld his powers and uh, the flash's powers and shit so when he gets them back he could like withhold them and it's really cool stuff man um but how it's uh you know comes about and awesome awesome i i I know there's a lot more of these uh justice league type things and stuff i don't know if they're as dark as this but if they if they're 
out there, I do want to check him out because it was fantastic stuff, man. I like the whole idea of Batman being dead in this paradox world and his dad being Batman. It's really fucking cool how they did it, man. But um, awesome stuff, man. I'm giving this one 9 out of 10. I don't really know how to rate these properly. Like, that's just how I feel I should do, I guess. Good stuff, though. Good yeah, stuff. Like I said, there's a, there's a shitload of... Not a shitload, but there's a bunch of R-rated ones. Yeah, I, you know, I mean... These yeah, are, these I, I are think fun. Derek was on a kick of those. Like, I think he picked up a bunch of the animated things and was just going to town watching them, so that's probably why he uh Yeah, it, it's really interesting to, to see these characters act like that. Like, Wonder Woman, not good, you know? Chopping Aquaman's wife's head off and shit. It's really fucking cool, man. I love it, like... How she gets her kind of crown thing and stuff. Awesome. Really fun. Really fun. Mm. But have you seen the have you seen this one, Jeremy? I haven't seen any of them. Oh, okay. I just know from stuff that there's some R rated a lot a lot of Batman ones I know are R rated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I just Honestly, man, like I, not, I just don't know where to start. That's why I've never yeah, really watched see, them. I'm kinda like that with it too. Like I don't know where to go from here and stuff, but I mean yeah. if they really have in-depth plots like this and shit like how everything gets resolved it's so fucking cool man like how it involves like why the paradox actually happened and shit mm-hmm. it's a really cool twist man really fucking cool and how it involves his mom and like all this type of things and it's it all makes sense you're like damn man that's really inventive really cool shit man highly recommend justice league flashpoint paradox good stuff an odd mm-hmm. an odd thing to review on here but uh yeah man if you're into this you know check it out all right sounds cool all right so last up for me is my one and only patreon pick this week uh i did squeeze it in before the show and that is 2000 now i was unsure rob hankins gave me this one um it's on the on the patreon page it's wrote 2007 but i have it as 2006 so hopefully this is the right film uh, but this is the William Friedkin film Bug from 2006. I wanted to watch this again. Um, this is a film that I have seen before. Um, I actually have a decent history with this film. So uh, back in, damn, years ago, like 2013, 14, somewhere around there, uh, I used to have a YouTube series where I would do like seven, seven days of horror and it was like a little theme thing and i would do like stephen king films and i would review seven stephen king films every day of the week um and i did one for <clears throat> insect horror and i had ordered from go hastings actually uh a film from 2006 called bugs with an s and they sent me this one and it wasn't the the bugs film was a sci-fi channel film mm-hmm. like killer scorpions or something uh and i got this and so i was like what the hell i'll watch it anyway and it it's technically a psychological horror film like if you it's that's how it's described anyway um but i watched it and i absolutely loved it loved this movie the first time i seen it and um i actually Oddly enough, this was the f- first film I ever lent Carly when we started fucking um, becoming <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah. That was fucking perfect. That was good. That was good. <clears throat> that was fucking but, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah, when I first started talking to her, when we started working together, I was like, told her that I had recently seen this, and I was, I lent it to her, and uh, I figured if if she watched it and liked it, she was probably pretty cool. Um, but yeah, this uh, this film follows a woman who is named uh, Agnes, and she's a waitress at a gay bar. She lives in like a rundown motel. Uh, in Oklahoma, she has a lesbian friend named RC. She invites RC back to her uh, motel room, and RC brings this guy, um, Peter, with them. And they all hang out a little bit. RC has to jet. Um, you could tell that Agnes has been abused in the past. She seems sort of um, reserved, uh, maybe like has some beef towards men. Um, and that's why she's like kind of lesbian right now. Um, anyway, this Peter guy sticks around and hangs out with, uh, Agnes and they end up sort of hitting it off a little bit. Um, by the way, all three were kind of, um, doing drugs and drinking. Um, this film is very, it's very light on the drug use, but you get the sense that even though they don't show the drug use in the film you get the sense that these are regular drug drug users um i think that's a uh metaphor for this film you literally see it a little bit but i think it's supposed to be more uh involved than what you actually see um i just feel like they didn't want to harp on it uh which i thought was a good move uh so basically these two start you know talking to each other you know getting to know each other a little bit um peter is a very odd guy he just had this way that he talks the way that he sort of acts um the you know almost gullible like um shy like nice guy act that he has it's not an act it really is who he is and then he's like just a very mysterious like drifter guy uh basically they they kind of i i really don't want to spoil much in this film but essentially there's one moment in the film and i remember when i first watched this there's just this one fucking moment where you're like wait a minute what's going on here and then from that point on it just goes into full-blown madness um and it is fucking amazing like this movie is i I remember when i first seen it i said this is the most purest literal uh depiction of mental illness schizophrenia madness uh crazy person thing that i've ever seen um i met somebody one time who was uh where i was working at the hotel who 100% was like insane. Like they were just a completely insane person. And it reminded me exactly of these two. Like they are just crazy, man. Like it, I, I don't know what kind of research freaking did for this film, but I just feel like the way that this is handled is like absolutely amazing. Um, the way these characters completely devolve and by the end of it, you're, you're just so into it. You're like, Oh my God, like how did this get to here? And you see it happen. It's, it unfolds perfectly where you see like these little 
little hints of the one character and how she can become this way. And you see the little hints early on of like, okay, well, this person was like this the entire time. We just didn't really realize it because of the situation in, in the reserved setting. And it's just, it just gets so good, man. Like this is, if you've never seen this movie, it is absolutely fantastic. I, I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, I've always loved it from the first time I seen it. And I, I, when I got this on, I don't know if I mentioned that I liked it before. If, um, Rob picked this film based on something I had said, or he just thought I would like it. But when I seen it get picked for me, I was like, Oh hell yeah. Like I can't wait to revisit that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fucking awesome, man. I get I give it a 9.5 out of 10. And the only reason there's one scene that I'm confused about. Um a like social worker got not a social worker but like a somebody from a hospital comes to find one of the characters and he just starts smoking drugs and it it just seems really out of nowhere. I didn't really understand that. Um but that's the only scene that I didn't really get. Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd, great performances. Dude, oh my God. You know what's crazy about that guy, Michael Shannon, is he played um, Greg Buell in 8 Mile, which is Eminem's stepdad, like the guy that that, that, uh, Eminem's mom's dating. Mm -hmm. And, dude, we used to fucking talk about him so much because my friend Marty, he... His mom was dating a guy that looked just fucking like him and his name was Greg and he acted the same fucking way and they were like and Marty's mom like they junked like they went junking for money. It, they were like alcoholics and stuff, but um, it, it was – and this guy, even in this movie, he fucking looks exactly like this dude who I used to know when I was a kid. It just fucking weirds me out, man. I've said I've – yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. Go ahead. I literally just picked this up like a few months ago because I wanted to revisit it. The only way to get it is on HD DVD if you want to watch it in HD, and it's a fucking rare fucking HD DVD to pick up, so I had to get the DVD, but – I've been wanting to rewatch it for a while. It's so good, man. Yeah, it, the yeah. performances are some of the best of all time in this film. Yeah, never made it to Blu-ray. I don't get why. Yeah, it is weird, actually. It's Lionsgate. Yeah. Yeah, I've, man, I've, I I fucking love that that oh, dude. It just gets so out there, man. So it's so good, dude. And it just goes from zero to sixty in like ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, the movie is a trip, man. It really is a trip. I always said, you know, if I was ever to make a film, I would try to get Michael Shannon in it because he's like that guy can Local. kill any role. Dude, man. He's he's so good in this film. I know, he's just oh, like he's one, in a, he's he's one in of those film moods can be reviewed. Yeah, he love I fucking love Michael. Like everything he's in, man. I just he I always gravitate to his acting. It's just I don't know. He's just good. I think he's that guy who can pull off anything. So. Yeah. He's the lead in Shape of Water, so. Oh, wow. Okay, well, yep. that'll be coming up in a couple weeks. Yep. I didn't even know that. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Bug, excellent film, man. Shit. <clears throat> and that's it. That's it for what we watched. Hey, yo, we got them dope rhyme similes and verbs. 
Ready to spit movie knowledge to all you freaky horror nerds. It's your boy Moods representing the 22 Shots crew. We about to hit your ass up with the bonus review. Yeah! Alright, moving along here into the bonus review. And wow, I don't even know who sent this one over. This Mr. Was... Lechem. Mr. Lechem? Lechem? Mark Lechem. Oh, yeah, okay. He always gives us interesting films. Yeah, no shit. Um, I had heard about this movie because I know that Dark Sky had put it out on DVD years ago. It's been really fucking hard to get out of print. Never seen it before. Really, I've seen it for like five bucks all the time. <laughs> really, I've never, I've never yeah. seen a copy of it before. I've yeah. only ever seen it on Amazon and shit. And it was going for ridiculous money. Um, from 1969, it's a film from Czechoslovakia when they were Czechoslovakia. Yep. Uh, called The Cremator. Well, this movie was banned until Czechoslovakia fell, and then once. It fell. Yeah. They found the print in some warehouse or something, and they released it and it became a really popular <laughs> film. But it was banned from the minute it was made until... Yeah, it showed at a festival, I believe, in 69 yeah. and shit like that, and then they banned it in Czechoslovakia. I know it was shown after, like, in the early 70s and other yeah. places, I think, but it was banned in Czechoslovakia until the communist, you know, regime yeah. fucking folded in, uh, I think, 89. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a thing, man. It's definitely a product of its time and its culture and shit like that, for sure. Um, But uh, shot in black and white, which I thought was interesting for 1969. I would assume even in Czechoslovakia, like, I don't know their films well enough, but I would assume they just filmmakers didn't have the access to colored film or. Well, it was probably just cheaper. More expensive. Yeah. Or. The simple fact that this, you know, what I was thinking, why they sh- it was either two things. It was either a budget thing, because yeah. black and white film is a lot cheaper than color film. We all know that. And also the fact that this is set during World War II, uh-huh. which was, you know, if you were setting it at that time, if you were to film, it would have been in black and white anyways. So it could have something to do with that, too. If they did that, it's kind of clever. But, but yeah, Cremator 1969, set in World War II, a demented cremator believes cremation uh, reveals earthly sufferings and sets out to save the world. Wow. This guy is like, you spend the whole film with him and you, you really like him and you know, you, you, you connect with him, but he's a fucking evil son of a bitch. Like he's no worse than Hitler in the sense that Hitler thought he was God. But this guy thinks he's so much in part of the process of, you know, if it wasn't for him, all these people would be left in their bodies suffering and they would never, be released to go into heaven and but he's just so focused like if it wasn't for me i wouldn't i'm yeah it's smart so important it starts out on a smaller scale for sure you know he's you know he's a cremator you know that's what he does and then he gets this idea his ideology in his mind is like you know i'm setting these souls free and i'm doing good for the world and he is trying to play god a little bit you know it's in his mind kind of thing but you know as his as his friend introduces him to the Czechoslovakian Nazi party, yeah. it, it kind of takes on like a whole different aspect of what he's doing with releasing souls. Now he wants to be basically Hitler. He wants to purify because there's a, there's all this conversation in the film about, you know, blood, there's no difference in this and that and stuff. And then, yep. 
you know, there's a point in the film when he kind of accepts being in this Nazi party, you know, which it goes along with his beliefs and stuff. You know, there's a problem with it. There's a contradiction there because throughout the entire film, this character that we follow, we'll just call him the cremator, he genuinely loves his family. He loves his son. He loves his wife. He loves everybody around him. He's a really nice guy. He's a leader. You know, he's not a follower. He kind of does everything, you know, on the outside for the good. And there becomes a point in the film where his ideas and ways change so drastically that he ultimately needs to cleanse even his own family because he finds out, you know, that they're quarter Jewish. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, really fucking well-made movie. Like I, I was so enthralled right from the opening scene. Cause I mean, this is a very heavily, heavy dialogue film shot in yeah. black and white. We follow this character. He's in every scene. He's spitting knowledge and he's talking about like all this type of things. And it, it's really I was drawn into it. I was so drawn into it. It was the tone of his voice. It was awesome. I just loved it. And it just, you, you can see where this is going though. It's predictable in its ways. It doesn't hurt the film Mm -hmm. whatsoever, but I love how it just progresses into what it is. You know, it's, you know, essentially it's an, well, it was interesting. Like when they're talking back to that blood idea, like that scene in the wax museum, when they're all fucking the real people and they're all fucking bleeding and shit like that. Like Mm -hmm. every one of those, every one of those, people are are not pure kind of people you know they're yeah. a little person or they're a murderer or they're exactly. somebody who committed suicide or anything like that they're not pure but they he 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 shows that shot of them of that one person bleeding when the knife gets pulled out and i think it's like one of the most interesting shots of the movie because what what happens later on in the film with with the pure blood and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i don't know that scene is so so foreshadowing what's going to happen well the whole movie movie. it's cool you bring that because the whole movie is foreboding it's foreboding like the whole entire movie is you know like it's it's got this very gothic atmosphere to it and the tone of the film is is very it's it's subtle in its approach but like you know it's just straight doom right Uh uh-oh JP's pulling a JF era one moment here because the thing I like about the setting and the ideas and it's cool because they don't overdo it with, you know, the Nazis coming in because they I mean, you you have that idea that the Nazis are coming to invade, you know, they are going to be taken over. So you kind of get this impression that, you know, it's like, well, we better join them, you know, (laughs) or we're getting fucking taken over kind of thing. Right. So I like that whole doom and gloom idea that too, that's going on. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a great allegory, man. This movie's fantastic in that sense, man. There's there's so much going on here. It's just, I mean, German expression, expressionism at its yeah, finest. it's solely based, yeah. It, and, and it's ironic, too, right? Because yeah. it's, you know, it's about the Germans and the war and stuff, but they're using yeah. their style of filmmaking to create this story, to create yeah. this allegory. And it's, man, dude, this, fuck, this needs a Criterion release. This is a great movie. Yeah, I think I get more out of it if I've seen it once, but, uh, you mm. know, uh, luckily I watched this one and JP didn't watch it, so uh, he's pulling a torture chamber right now. <laughs> JP, you have I'm anything to pulling, say about it? I'm not pulling at anything. I was just listening to you guys. Uh, so, first of all, I didn't get any of that shit, really. I fucking... What? Like, seriously, yeah, I didn't like know that... Day. I didn't know that his family was like, oh one fourth jewish or something whatever you said like that i must have missed that i didn't understand that i i was really confused during this whole movie i i didn't understand that like the nazis were like nearby getting closer like Mm -hmm. i 
I felt like this film was super wordy. I didn't understand a lot of the shit that was going on in it. Um, there's so it, it is so dialogue heavy, but you have like the you know he's there's a, there's one thing that I will say that I think is pretty cool about this movie is um, the way that the the editing is. Sometimes you'll be in a scene and it'll cut to another scene, and it just seems very different for it's, the it's, time. It's seamless German it, expressionism. It's, it's seamless. It's seamless. Uh, uh, editing it's very cool because yeah. you, you'll see it like he's kind of reaching for something all of a sudden you're in the next scene kind yeah of thing. it's almost like yeah. jarring at first because you're like wait a minute what like he's when yeah. he's at that like massage parlor um yeah the transitions are phenomenal i, That's I didn't something. i just didn't get them I, I just didn't pick up on anything the ends are talking about like i don't know i was just like what is this movie about well they even say in one point like oh the germans are coming closer they're yeah. right over this wall or something i like know that. but they there's so they there's so much that they, they're talking about like dalai lamas i don't even know what that is you know what i mean like he's talking a lot about reincarnation mm-hmm. and i'm just like what the fuck is this guy talking about i i didn't understand like most of the movie like what you guys explained it sort of makes more sense but like what did all the shit have to do with reincarnation he talks so much about reincarnation what the fuck is he talking about well hitler is all about that white recarn being white and having reincarnation i'm like that wait hitler was about reincarnation well like only having the white that's why another reason why he killed all the jews is that he didn't want any of them to be reincarnated into uh uh that's why he burned all their bodies so their souls wouldn't be able to enter into, you know, be reincarnated into back into know. another Jewish. Yeah, soul. Hitler was all into that fucking occult yeah. and all those ideologies I know occult, of that but stuff. Reincarnation really isn't occult. No, it's not. Know? It's religious stuff. Like he was very much into yeah. that, all that type of stuff. He studied all that shit, man. Yeah, yeah. which is weird because so. like here he like it's all about burning the body. He's Hitler really didn't burn the bodies too much. That's why what all those mass graves was. And I think that's an interesting, maybe that Hitler had this idea that the same idea that if you burn the bodies, they'd be reincarnated. But Hitler was mainly just about, he would <clears> gas <throat> them and then he would bury them in all these, you know, mass death so, pits. So it was interesting. Yeah, that his idea, I think was the, the souls, the souls wouldn't leave the body. If you, yeah. you gas them, they'd be trapped in there. Hence yeah. burying them in, in, you know, in mass graves and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is this dude is basically like a cremator. He lo- loves his family and shit, but then he starts fucking around with Nazis and he gets all he goes mad and starts believing in their shit and well, he kills his family. Essentially, I mean, he's kind of he's kind he's of so, yeah. he's kind of like Hitler in a sense. Yeah, because he's so focused on on he th- he thinks that if it wasn't for him. You know, he kind of like a god character. If it wasn't for him burning all these bodies, that these souls would be trapped in these in these bodies for the rest of their lives, and they wouldn't be able to get reincarnated. See, his and they're goal, basically yeah. they're basically going to suffer for their entire life. Yeah, his goal so was he to free these souls. Evil. Exactly. Yeah. He was he was playing mm-hmm. God essentially. He feels like yep. you know his part in this world, being a cremator or releasing these souls and shit like that, is is what he was there to do. But it gets more extreme once he gets introduced to these other ideas of, you know, purification. See, I missed all that. I don't know. What, like, when and, did he start getting into all these other ideas? Like, well, what like part of the film is that? 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah, when his, when his friend actually, his friend literally comes to him with, like, a contract to sign yeah. and shit to go into the into that Czechoslovakian Nazi group and stuff and, See, and it was it was a lot I, to do with the jews i guess and stuff. when the i picture nazis i just picture people with fucking swastikas and and yeah, all that this shit. is pre that, none of those in there yeah i guess so because isn't this film set in the 30s or something right 
Yeah, it's set. I think it's set. That's pre- what Wikipedia set. says that it's set in the 30s. Yeah, I know. It's. I think it's honestly. I don't really know. It says it's way set in World War II, but it's totally not. It's yeah, maybe late 30s. Uh, I'm assuming. It'd be like World War One or something, right? Well, no, World oh, War Two. World, World War One was in 1915, bro. World War One was from 1914 to 1918. World War Two was 39 to 45. So I'm thinking this is probably at the beginning of World War Two, right? 39 yeah. ish, because the, they they even talk about how the Nazis were, you know, invading. They they hinted that. It says stuff. here the movie takes place against the backdrop of political radicalization in Europe during the 1930s, more specifically the demise of the Golden Era, first Czechoslovakia Republic, mm-hmm. and the establishment of the pro rate of Bohemia and Moravia under Nazi Germany. Spiritually, the movie takes place in the aftermath of the death of Tibetan Gesta- Gis- Gestio? Gest- Gestapo? No, Guy Atso, the 13th Dalai Lama in 1933. Yeah. I don't so, know what it is. So just, so just after, like, mid-30s kind of thing, just pre- Pre World War Two, but the shit was going on, right? The Nazis yeah, were preparing. Hitler was for, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were preparing. It's just the war started in thirty nine, right? So yeah, there was the ideas there, but yeah, I, I guess maybe if I knew a little bit more about, like, I didn't really look into this film either. The history, so, yeah. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't even know anything about. I didn't even know it had anything to do with. I don't know a lot about Czechoslovakia's history and stuff, but I do know a lot about World War Two. So I mean, it made sense. You know, they were. They were going there. Yep. I mean, they, their goal was to take over everything, so we know that. But yeah, man. It... Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't pick it up, at JP, because they like clearly spoke about it in dialogue and things. Well, like they that. speak about so much, dude. This film is literally nothing but dialogue, and it's fucking thing... super wordy. Oh, I loved and it. I loved like I it. said, they were talking about reincarnation like forever, and yeah. I was like, "What's the point of this?" And they're talking about the Dalai Lama, and I'm like, "I don't even know what the fuck a Dalai Lama is." <laughs> And, you know, I'm I'm just like, I don't know. I fucking paid attention to this motherfucker. I just couldn't get into it. I was like, this movie sucks. Oh, it sucks. What? Fuck, it's awesome. <laughs> this is actually one of the best movies I've seen in a long time, Dude, man. no, this movie was Uh-oh, so it's fucking... it's deep red all over again. And I just, I was like, this is, nothing happens. Like, what do you mean so much, yeah. so much happens? Nothing happens in this movie. Dude, you just, because you, just because you didn't I, fully grasp the film doesn't mean yeah. nothing happened, man. I think it's it's insanely powerful. His, you know, him going from where he was with his family to what he ended up doing is insane. Yeah, it feels it, fake. It's no, it's not fake at all, man. He was already it, trying to play God with the with the cremation, anyways. Didn't that seem a little bit ridiculous? Step, no, like, come it doesn't. On, dude, you're God because no, no. fucking it's, for burning bodies. Like, there's nobody else character. in the world burning bodies. He's, ba- he he's basically like a metaphor. That, he's basically a metaphor for Hitler. You know, yeah. it's exactly how they're treating him is exactly what he is. He's a Hitler character. If you put that into perspective and you put that into play, it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, it having to do with the Jews and what he does to his family, I mean, it's plain as day, man. Because he, Jew- he sees them as Jewish, so he has to get... They're not pure, and they shouldn't be reincarnated. So how, did he, how did he find out that they were Jewish, by the way? Didn't he ask... He was asking about a blood test or something, but then the dude was like, you can't do that or something. Yeah, it has something to do with the doctor. I can't remember exactly how. I remember the conversation with the doctor about blood and stuff like that, and and he, I don't know, I can't quite remember, but yeah, he does find I out. Know. I think I think he also, I think he, 
actually knew anyways that so what, what their backgrounds I know, were. Man. I think that's what their I, backgrounds were. So you got to watch it again, JP. It's just I'm like not, Lost Highway. It's it's, it's a just, really fucking man, dude. See, I love movies with dialogue. I mean, if it wasn't for the, the you cre- didn't like Lost Highway either until I explained yeah I did it. I cremator, like Lost Highway if, you faggot if it wasn't for the cremators his tantalizing voice like I love that shit I was just staring at my computer just like holy fuck it was awesome I don't know I love shit like this it was great but to me I, it had it had this like insane like this German expressionism impressed. film with like it had like such a dream like atmosphere to it too I don't know if it was the mixing on the there voices. was some cool shots. You oh, know, POV shots that were kind of like weird looking and stuff towards the end and stuff. I kind of dug that, but the cinematography is great, man. The the transitions in the film are fantastic. I thought the acting all around was really good. It's it's a shocking film. I mean, Christ, yeah. I, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, it blows my mind that this movie even got made in a communist country, anyways. Yeah, that that seems kind of weird, right? I mean. Yeah, that's fucking blows my mind too. Was this guy killed for making this shit? No, no. <laughs> that's why it was never shown, though. Yeah, I know it was submitted to the Oscars for best foreign yeah. film. It never got nominated, but it should have. In my yeah. opinion, it came out in nineteen. I wonder why it came out in nineteen. 19- what year did this come out? Seventy. Sixty nine. Sixty nine. When it came out in sixty nine. I think a Godard film came out in sixty nine, so that probably won. Yeah, it won awards. Like, okay, here it says right here, nineteen seventy-two, it won for uh, best film cinematography. Won a bunch of awards at uh, at Stitches Film Festival. So, so it was being shown after it was banned in Czechoslovakia. So maybe the other also, prince just it's disappeared. Described as a horror, it's described as a comedy. Yeah, that doesn't mean where the fuck is the comedy there is in this none. entire movie? I think yeah. that I think that there's. I don't know, man. See, I was trying to figure that out too. And I'm like, maybe there's some there's dark like a comedy complete cultural disconnect. With I'm like, shit. yeah, but that's also somebody putting that on there. I, I, I don't really get that either. I couldn't find it. And I, I was going to mention that too. Do you guys, is there any dark comedy in the film? I didn't really see it. I, I didn't the subject matter. I thought the subject yeah. matter was pretty fucking pretty serious and, and just dark, but not dark comedic Yeah, at all. No. I mean, I, I don't see that at all. Yeah, I don't know, man. So, ratings. JP, you go. Uh, I didn't like this movie. Um, I clearly didn't get it. Obviously, even when explained, I still it 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 doesn't seem overly impressive to me. I don't know. You guys are high on it. I didn't care for it um, that much. It's it was. I mean, I was like entertained enough, I guess, but I didn't. I didn't see. I guess I don't know the history or something because it, it wasn't really connecting with me. I was just like, oh, so we go through all that to see this guy murder his family at the end with a crowbar. Cool. Fun. Um, <laughs> I gave it a six. I was at a five. Just so you know, I came up a whole point <laughs> when you guys talking about it. <laughs> God damn. Jeremy? Yeah. Uh, eight and a half for me. I think one. Didn't you? Uh, I thought you gave that a seven. Ongoing theme. Uh, I gave it a seven point five, and then if we were talking about it, I bumped it up a point. Um, I think one of the uh, 
ongoing themes in the film that I thought was very fascinating was the cremator alluded to the fact that he was, you know, that he didn't drink and he didn't smoke over and over and over again. It's kind of like, you know, he's to the point where he's even bragging about it. I thought that's very interesting. You know, he's very thinking he's very godly, um, better than everybody else. But there is a moment in the film where he kind of, he kind of, subjects himself for it. even even in the in the subtitle it even says i'll take a token drink <laughs> i was like what the fuck that's weird never heard that before um i love this movie man this was really damn good nine and a half out of ten it's great stuff that's man. probably the biggest fucking gap we've ever had oh fuck i'd watch this again in a second i loved it it's great stuff I'm surprised Jeremy you're not higher, considering. Yeah, I liked it enough. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's good shit, man. This is my type of shit, man. I, I see. I like heavy dialogue films like this if it's interesting. And that guy's tone of voice, man, had me just sucked right in. I think if he had a shitty ass voice, it would have been harder to read the subtitles. But, yeah. But it was just very tantalizing. It was very smooth and just great, great casting. So. But that is the cremator from 1969. <laughs> 69, dude. <laughs> Funny enough, 1969 at one point was going to be our second retro top 10 of the year show. Cause initially when we came up with it, 68 and we were just going to go in order. Then we decided to do the randomizer. And now, our feature presentation. That's it for the bonus review. Let's move along into the featured reviews. Thank if- you, Marco. Marco. Yeah. Episode 156. This is OG vs. Remake. Of course, Maniac um, 1980 against Maniac 2012. Are you, are you going to title this? Are these volumes? or are they No, just, we've no? never done volumes with the... Okay. OG versus makes, but I believe this is like the fourth or fifth one. Yeah, I had no idea. I know we haven't done a lot of these, but yeah, um, we, we did. did tell, yeah, I know we did tell a story last week. Murder. Yeah. What'd you say? I know we talked about this last week, but this was supposed to be episode four. Four originally. So. Yep. And all the way here on one fifty six. Oh, finally I, getting done. You know what? We do, we do volume them. The last one was uh, number four. Oh, really? I know we did My Bloody Valentine. We've done Toolbox Box Murders. Murder. Those are the only ones I can remember. Um, I think we did... Uh, 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 sorority House Massacre yeah, that, first. Sorority Ro- House on Sorority Road. That was number four, but what was number three? Did we? Oh, Cat sorority? People. It was Cat People. Oh, yeah, Cat People. That's right. One of the lowest rated episodes of all time. <laughs> I like Cat People. People just don't dig cat people, I guess. I don't know. But but yeah, man. Um, first up here, Maniac from the year I was born, 1980, directed by William Lustig, who is 
he's pretty a big, cool. fat Jewish man. He's, he's cool, man. I like William Lustig, man. He's you know he hasn't I've met really, him a shit ton. He hasn't you know I wish Lustig had done more films. To be honest, he didn't really direct a lot of movies. He was more involved in you know he was involved with you know I think he's one of the creator or one of the guys that started Anchor Bay, and then, of course he owns Blue Underground and stuff too. So got other business ventures, but yep. he's also responsible for directing Vigilante, which is a fantastic film. Vigilante. Uncle Sam, Maniac which Cop. is not a fantastic film. <laughs> he did Maniac Cop, Maniac Cop 2. Uncle Sam. Maniac Cop 3, which is not the greatest. And then, of course, he did The Abomination of Uncle Sam, which is sad because it was like his last, you know, yeah. film, featured film that he directed in 96. But like I said, though, at this time, he, he was doing the Anchor Bay thing and then Blue Underground came around years later. And I think he's still is all involved with that stuff. So, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Maniac from 1980, starring Joe Spinell, the late Joe Spinell, of course, uh, plays Frank Zito. Caroline Monroe, who is so beautiful. <laughs> Effects by Tom Savini, who also actually stars in the film for a one scene. One of the best head, head explosion <laughs> scenes of all time. Yeah, for one amazingly memorable scene. Yeah. And yeah, so. Stops this. A psychotic man troubled by his childhood abuse. Loose in New York City, kills young women and takes their scalps as trophies. <laughs> Will he find the perfect woman in a photographer and end his killing spree? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Thoughts on Maniac? Well, I want to know, Moots, how many times have you watched Maniac now? You know, man, I don't even know if I could put a number on it. But I will, but I will say though, but I will say, since you mentioned that, that this time watching Maniac was the best looking it's ever that I've ever seen. It. <laughs> yeah. So I watched the new Blue Underground 4K transfer of it, and it's just it's amazing how much different it looks. It actually looks like legit, man. Yeah. Um, it's just fantastic looking. The sound is amazing. Oh, I was just so impressed by watching it. They did a great, great job because I have the previous two Maniac Blu-rays also, so I have this on Blu-ray three times. Yeah, and you what know, two Blu-rays were there. There's a 25th anniversary, and then this is a normal edition. Yeah, blue. Oh, really? And those were obviously yeah. different prints. See, the difference is they actually found a workable print for this, which enabled them to do this awesome 4K transfer, which is awesome because they didn't think there was any good ones left. So that's awesome how these things always just kind of pop up and make our lives awesome again. But yeah, yeah. Didn't I watched that question. new new version as well. How many times have you seen Maniac? I've only seen it three times. I know, but it's Moods, one of Moods' favorite movies, so I was curious how many times he's seen it. Oh, I probably watched. He said it. he couldn't put a number on it. I don't even know. A hundred? No, probably not. Like legitimately, not that much. Yeah. I mean, how many, I mean, people say it all the time, like, man, I've seen this movie a hundred times. I'm like, yeah, but have you, <laughs> you know, like a hundred yeah, times. I've, a lot of I've times. only seen a couple films a hundred times. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think honestly, the films I've watched three. the most ever in my life is probably the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I used to really? watch them What about Terror Vision? Oh, <laughs> like way too many times too, but, but I used to watch those movies all the time growing up. Like, the most was, I've ever watched was Elm Street. And um, Friday films, and then the like, the Goonies and uh, Back to the Future and Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket's definitely my most watched ever, probably over a hundred times. Damn, that's crazy! I have wow, 
That's a lot of times for Full Metal Jacket, man. Dude, one time I play. Oh, Scream, probably over 100. Yeah, one time you watch Full Metal Jacket like twice in a row. Dude, I watch. No, no lie, I watched Full Metal Jacket an entire weekend in a row before. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time we were we were fucking Skyping and I watched Return of Living Dead like four times in a row? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous, dude. That's another one I've watched way too many goddamn times. To the point I actually know the dialogue. But I think like Elm Street. I've watched Elm Street four probably like thirty or forty times. Part four, uh, and yeah, that's definitely my most watched out of them. And then part two probably another twenty or thirty times. Hmm. Interesting. Part three probably twenty or thirty. Part six probably twenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, getting back to. The featured reviews here, Maniac, 1980. Um, man, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a it's a pretty basic story. You know, we've got a guy that's obviously suffering from childhood trauma. You know, his mom was responsible for his childhood trauma that fucked him up to the point where he became a serial killer, essentially. Yeah. But, you know, his, he doesn't just kill anybody. He kills specifically women. Because, you know, he obviously had it out for his mom. One thing I've always loved about this movie is old New York. It's Uh, so gritty, man. William Lustig captures that. And Frank Hemmenlotter. Yeah, they're so good at just capturing 42nd Street. Because it's their city. And Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen, too. Oh, Larry Cohen. Because that was like their their city, so. Larry Cohen was like, he might even be the best guerrilla filmmaker of all time. Oh, ever. Oh man! In the Amazing. new documentary that they <laughs> yeah, I know. I've watched I've watched it three times. Yeah, it's so good, man. Larry Cohen's yeah. amazing. Like you learn it, you such you gain such an appreciation for his films after watching that. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, like William Lustig here, man. Same thing. Those guys are all masters of capturing their city that they love and yeah. putting it on film and stuff. And it's just great. It's like this story fits into that New York setting so fucking perfect, man. And, and oh, it's gritty. It's amazing. It's casted perfectly joe spinell absolutely knocks us out the park it's crazy to think too you know where joe spinell came from like i mean he was in rocky and he was in you know godfather he was like in all these you know academy award-winning films and then he went and did got this starring role he was in that one film that brandon sent us too uh that ninth configuration yeah 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 Yeah, that was a weird movie (laughs) but he this was his very first starring role he always played you know these kind of smaller roles in films and really good he was always good in these films but you know i'm glad that william lustig gave him a shot to you know do you know have the lead in the film because i think he just absolutely he's kind of to me what makes the movie you know his performance is fucking just banal yeah, Joe well, it helps. Spinell, though. You spend so much time yeah, with him. Joe Spinell, Joe Spinell is he's but, so believable. So much he's so about, believable. Like, and we'll talk about the differences in the two. Yeah, you know, leads. But I think that this works so well because of how just gross he looks. Like how how yeah. just terrifyingly creepy he looks. Like you know, sometimes serial killers look like Ted Bundy. Other times they look like John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and yeah, in this they're... case, that we have more of a John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's great. What I, I find like I, what I find interesting is that they picked two polar opposite kind of looking characters in both of these movies. On one end, you have Joe Spinell, who is 
crazy looking, kind of crazy and and dirty. And then with the remake, they decided to go with a, a you know, a kind of a, a different kind of looking character, kind yeah, of a pretty boy 100%. kind of character. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, uh, I think that was the same character. Yeah, how you could have the same characters just in a different, uh, looking different, and still have the same effect. Yeah, super interesting in that sense. Um, but Joe Spinell actually was a little disappointed in this film after it came out. Um, from what I understand, he was a very sensitive person. Uh, and a lot of like women spoke out against this film. You know, think of like Roger Ebert and Siskel yeah. and stuff. And, yeah. You know, women in horror. The what did they call them? Um, whatever the, the 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 whatever word they women danger films. That's what they call them. Um, I guess like a lot of women activist groups like spoke out against this film, and I guess he was like kind of upset about that um, because he wanted to be liked and everybody was hating him. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, 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 saw that. I, I can definitely see the women's activists attacking this movie because you know it's pretty brutal. It is pretty brutal. Oh, yeah. You know, the violence against women and stuff. I mean, you know, and that's one thing I, I always loved about this film that actually kind of plays into a, a certain aspect of the film too, later on at the end, but which I've never understood. It doesn't even make any fucking sense whatsoever. But one thing I liked about the approach with, um, you know, Frank Zito's character is that he doesn't have an M.O. You know, like he fucking kills all his victims are killed in different ways. I love that. You know, but he does have an M.O. He cuts the top of their heads off. Yeah, but he also but he kills them in different ways. A lot of serial killers will kill the exact. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's very common in serial killers to take a trophy. Right. Some will take panties or whatever. He just takes their scalps. You know, yeah. because he wants the he wants the victims more or less to to keep living with him. You know, yeah. So I mean, it makes sense, but I like the fact that he kills in completely different ways. It's awesome. I love that shit. Yeah, man. he's he's uh, definitely disturbed. Um, so believable too. I mean, Joe Spinell's performance is, and you know, this film gets lumped in with slasher films, but it it definitely is a step ahead of slasher films. Um, it is a slasher film at times, but you know psychological slasher for sure and this film in particular is well above and beyond a standard slasher film like the standard slasher tropes just it's just more it got more going on in it it's a psychological character study is essentially what it is you know it's straight psychological i mean we get to see all the kind of ups and downs of his character i mean in the beginning of the film we get to see you know the opening scene, man. The voyeuristic, the cinematographer's fantastic in that in that scene. By the way, on the beach, where he ends up killing this this couple, um, which is actually kind of funny because you know the second person in the film he kills actually is the boyfriend. But I guess you kind of have to take him out, really. I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe not. But love that scene, man. It's really good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, straight up psychological, man. All these up, up and downs. It's interesting that they wrote into the script, you know, him trying to have a relationship. Yeah. I think that was, I think it's a ballsy attempt with this type of character because for the first half of the film, we don't even get to see Carolyn Monroe until probably more than halfway through the movie when he discovers her. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of switches, you know, he like, you know, he's really kind of trying to, to work something out with himself. You know, he knows psychologically that there's obviously things that are completely wrong but I think deep down he, he wants something to work, but you know, he also knows that it's it, it just can't work like that either. 
I think it's a very yeah. ballsy attempt in the film to do that. And I think that they, and Lustig does a good job with not overdoing it. You know, not taking away from this character study and, and putting in this uh, this ultimately love story that can kind of ruin the aspect of the direct character study of um, mm-hmm. Frank Zito, right? And I like the way that all that shit plays out. It's it's kind of cool. It's actually a really, really well-made film. It's, you know, it's got really great pacing in it, too. It's never really any downtime. It kind of goes from scene to scene. And I think I think one of the greatest scenes in this movie is when he's talking to the girl and he, and he just starts spewing out. He's like, I told you not to go out tonight. This is going to happen. He just kind of fucking yeah. starts losing his shit. And you're just like, wow, dude, like you're fucked. <laughs> like straight fucked up, man. Ah, uh, absolutely love it, man. It's great. Yeah. Um, I think that obvious, this film is super gritty and raw, very violent. I mean, we've talked about the kill, the shotgun death and, yeah. and I just think that when you title a film like maniac, there's not much of a better, and you see that cover art, there's not much of a better fitting, like film than with the title like it truly lives up to its title like this is what i this is the exact film i picture whenever i think of the title maniac um it's about a fucking maniac and his dealing with that in new york and and all these different people that he runs into and essentially his you know tragic demise by the end of it like you never hate it It, it's so interesting too to take this film and follow the killer because when do you do that in slasher films in 1980 you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you don't follow jason yeah. you don't follow freddie you don't follow michael you don't follow that's why this approach is so different fucking, man. you know the guy from the valentine movie um my bloody valentine uh harry ward henry warden yeah it? harry harry ward. harry harry, harry. harry. But you're actually following Frank Zuto this entire time. It, it just didn't seem like that happened back then. No. Like, the closest you could say is, like, we follow Norman Bates. But he wasn't really, like, yeah, a killer. Like this. But, this is, but, but this is more, but this is, like, more an in-depth character study of just following this guy's daily activities. You know, yeah. from day to day, scene to scene. Come out? I mean, this guy's... This guy is so fucking disturbing. It's kind of interesting. You don't even really know exactly what he does outside of killing. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't really a focus. It didn't need to be a focus. It was just, let's focus on this aspect and not take away from the Zito character. I love that. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Like, you don't see too many of these movies where... You see the serial killer preparing himself to go out and kill with a gun. <laughs> like I mean, fucking, you don't blow people's heads off. You know, it's, it's just something you don't see in films very often, right? Usually, you know, people are getting stabbed, strangled, you know, smaller type weapons. <laughs> well, that's just a good way to get caught. You know? and, and, and it's really crazy how he just like literally just runs, hops up on the car and just fucking yep. blasts Tom Savini in actually, the face. One, like, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually, is when Savini and his girlfriend are making out in the back of the back of the car there and she's like oh i see somebody i see somebody and the way that shot you just see spinel's fucking ugly ass face is gonna be <laughs> in the vehicle but it looks creepy as shit and then to top that off 
that scene is great right there because she kind of disappears. And they're like, well, we need to get kind of get out of here. <clears throat> Sabini gets in the uh, driver's seat, turns on the lights, and then you yep. see him in this fog. And he just runs up, jumps on the hood, and boom. Fuck, what a great scene, man. One of the I greatest see. scenes ever. Yeah. But, you know. I just love the tragedy with the Frank Zio character where he just looks like he's in pain. You know what I mean? Um, throughout the entire a, film. A troubled well, kind he, of guy, so. Yeah, he is. You know, in this movie, they don't necessarily allude to the fact either way of the demise of his mom. Unlike in the remake, they do allude to the fact that Zito killed his mom. Mm-hmm. Do they? Yeah. Where? I think towards the end of the film, they, they allude to the fact that he was technically responsible for his mom's demise. I must have missed that in the three times or the two times <laughs> that I've watched it. Yeah. Seriously. I don't remember that at all. See, I think, I think you're supposed, I think it's supposed to be like implied in this movie, but they don't, you know, they don't kind of give any, I never thought away. of it in either movie that he, yeah, I didn't really think about it in the in the remake. I didn't think of it in either one. It's it's interesting though because you would think that you would think of that because of I mean, Zito's yeah. the way he is because of all his mother's abuse. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's it wouldn't it's not far-fetched to believe that, you know, he only took so much of it and killed his mom and this is what started his, you know, his serial spree, you know. So yeah. But they never, they never kind of allude to it. I think, um, it's, I think it maybe it's just implied that he that he killed his mom and that he still has, you know, it being his mom, he still has feelings for. Her. That's why they show him going to the grave and and doing some crazy ass praying and shit like that, and of course losing his shit. Well, again. In, in this one, it says that his mom mom died in a car crash. In which one? In this film? Yeah. Huh. Does it actually say that in the movie? I don't. I'm reading it on. No, it doesn't say that movie. Thing. I'm not sure if they actually no. show it or there was a newspaper clipping or something. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I don't. Th- I don't think that's ever like, alluded th- to. I don't know. And, and, I unless it isn't a newspaper clipping, it. I've missed it every fucking time I've watched the movie. Yeah. But I just always thought that the way Lustig told the story was that it was just implied that he probably killed his mom because of all the abuse and stuff. And it, and it fucked his head up even more. I mean, See, once you're damn, abused physically, I, mentally, and you know stuff, what? I don't like thinking that I honestly don't, I would prefer to not think that because to me, that's too much like psycho. And I always took it as like Frank Zito was kind of, um, contained by his mother almost. And once she died, that's when, he couldn't contain himself. She, nobody, there was nobody there to control him anymore. And that's when he what, started but what do you killing mean? people. But, but when you say contained by his mother, like, are you implying the fact that she knew how he was? No, he was just held to, he was just a little bit more stable because there was somebody there. And once he became lonely and alone in life, so that's when he, so you're saying that he was essentially, well, I, I don't know normal not necessarily like she controlled him just that he was more stable and then when there's nobody there because it i always feel like frank zito is extremely lonely in both films like he's it's all about the loneliness of being a, like being alone and being I left think, with i mean nobody. i think a little bit has to play but you can play off it at you know in the same aspect of 
<clears throat> you know, I mean, the Frank Zito character is created from all the trauma and abuse. And either way, if his mother dies or he murders her, you know, he, at the end of the day, he's still going to feel that loneliness, right? Because that that's what happens yeah, with a lot of people. Yeah, but I just don't, don't want to think that that he murdered her. Because, I just prefer because not either think that. yeah, either way, you know, you lose someone that you theoretically love, you're going to feel that loneliness. I mean, it's showcase. He doesn't have any friends. He quite obviously doesn't have anybody else, and that was probably. I I also get the sense though that he it hasn't been doing this for years. Like this is something new that's happening. Yeah. Um, as you can see, like the more that it's happening in both films, you start seeing like the on the TV the police are talking about a serial killer, and mm-hmm. you can just see that eventually this is going to all catch up to him. It's just a ticking time bomb. Yeah. And I love that aspect in both films. Uh, this one you see it on the news and in newspaper cli- clippings and stuff, and in the other one you see it. Uh, you know, even the, I think that's what makes them spiral even harder. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's it's knowing the, you know, knowing the fact that now they're after him, they've caught on. Yeah. I just, I just love both of these movies, but this one in particular for different, like, I love it's gritty game rawness and, and just how the one thing about this movie that I've never I do like the fact that you get to see the news clippings, you get to see the, you know, the police on TV. Like it's, it's not a factor in the narrative. You know, I'm really, I'm really happy that Lustig stayed away from having a police investigation subplot. You know, I think that really would have taken away from the character study of Zito, right? Um, They really, the cop factor is not a huge thing in the film, but the thing that's always kind of bugged me about the movie is at the end, you know, when they find Zito on the bed, mm-hmm. how the fuck did they find him? Well, I, I just assumed that they were, you know, wasn't he like screaming? So wouldn't somebody heard him screaming? Yeah, but and... I mean, but that's, you just have to, you could just assume that I'm saying like the police, like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's presented like, oh shit, we found out where he is, and, mm-hmm. but, but we found him dead, you know, well, kind of thing. Uh, well, because Anna gets away. So maybe she, called the cops yeah but that again that none of that is shown right yeah but if somebody attacks you aren't you <laughs> you don't think you're gonna report that yeah i guess i mean you can lean that way but like i said it's not shown at all i mean but what but what about in the what about in the remake well we're not talking about the remake though well i'm just saying i mean we still are kind of comparing them but i mean there is a scene very similar in the end of the film where how do you explain the cops showing up there? They did the exact same thing. And I remember watching Maniac, the remake for the first time and hoping that they didn't do that. And they fucking did. And I was like, that makes even a little more sense because his interest doesn't necessarily get away. So Mm. how, how did the cops figure out where Zito was in the remake? It's a fucking flaw. I don't think it is. What do you mean? How did they find him? There's nothing they, alluding to the fact of any well, investigation. Dude, they mean, just find him. Where, where's does, the investigation? Well, you don't need to see it. You, I, I mean, how did, the, how did the police find any serial killer? Oh, come on, dude. You gotta, you gotta, Are you, you being just, serious right now? You got you to gotta showcase something. No, you can't just have... Okay, so that, you can go... This you, film so, is not about that. Exactly. You're saying that... You're saying that... You're, you're saying That's that exactly my fucking point. This guy. I'm not saying that they couldn't. You need to showcase something of alluding to where he is. You can't just have the cops show up at the end of the film in his apartment and be like, bam, motherfucker, we got you. 
Doesn't that seem a little far fetched to you? New York's a big no. goddamn city. Because because here's the thing, dude. Every serial killer gets caught eventually, and they don't know. When you're watching it from the serial killer's perspective, right? If I'm the serial killer, I don't know the police are about to bust in on me. Yeah, but dude, there's nothing. It just in happens. The, there's nothing day. in the police clippings. There's nothing in the TV that says, "Hey, man, we've got a fucking major lead on this guy." Blah blah blah. It's just they're just showcasing the viewer that they know that there's a killer out there. That's it. That's it. I mean, <laughs> they just show up at the apartment. It's the same in the fucking remake. It's the exact same thing. And well, dude, ex- I mean, ex- the explain that does, to me. The police don't. But dude, like the police don't tell you all the like you're looking at it as, as most movies are filmed where you're like, you know, following the police, too. But like in real life, you don't know what evidence the police have against you. Dude, it's in the movie, though. That's what I'm talking about, man. Like if you don't well, have, I mean, if you don't have the police at all through the whole movie, there's no they're not even a factor in the movie at all. And then all yeah. of a sudden they show up. Well, I mean, we see all this invested we see all the like, you know, everybody knows there's like a killer out and shit like that and you see like um on the uh newspaper and stuff like that. So I mean, I'm sure they're fucking I mean, he's not very careful with his murders. He doesn't even fucking wear gloves. <laughs> I assume that he's going to get caught one day. Okay. All right. I mean, to me, it's it's a flaw in both films. It really is. I don't think it's a flaw in either of them because it's not part of the story. Then why have it then? Why even have the cops show up there? If it's not a factor in the narrative whatsoever, why have the cops show up at the end? It's not needed. Just because it's the end, it's the... it does. But they don't need to be there, though. I mean, technically, they don't need to be there, but exactly. Especially, especially in the original film where they find Zito, assume he's dead, and they just walk out. They literally shut the door behind them and just walk out. How do you know they're not going to call the other cops or anything? Well, I mean, I'm assuming that's. I mean, it's still weird. It's a weird police procedure just to leave the room and walk out, you know? You think well, you get on the radio right away and be like, oh, dude, we found the killer. He's fucking dead in a pool of blood right See, now. the the way that, like, I feel that it's without, you know, I feel like they don't need to, to let you know that, like, it's a pressure cooker and it's all going to eventually fucking come crashing down on if he would have lived or killed himself or not. I feel like in both films that it's all going to end terribly very soon because of how often he's killing, how careless he is while killing. And, uh, just, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've, I can, I've just always bought it as if like the police in their own I get way your point are, of view. I get your point of view, but to me, I think that, I think it just would have worked better if you don't even have the police show up, you know, I mean, it's, especially, in the rem- especially in the remake, because you know, they, they, Allude obviously in the, in the original film they allude to something him not necessarily being dead spoiler, but in the remake he he's dead, right? So it, the cops don't need to show up there for two seconds and then be like, oh okay, fuck, got him. I just think that it shows that no matter what happened, his it was going to end. Like, his life was over. Like, his, of course. this was coming to an end. Of course. I've, j- I've looked at it always as kind of artistic. I don't know. It just works for me. Um, 
the police busting in at the end. I don't know. I just and trust always me, I'm it. not even one of those people that's trying to find flaws. Maniac is one of my all time favorite movies. I just never understood the whole police showing up at the end. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I it, think that. I think that the reason why I accept it so much is because it's told completely from the point of view of the killer in both films. Of course. So yeah. to go and step out and start following the police, if you would just throw a scene in here and there, yeah, it would make more sense. But I feel like it would take away from what the film was about. Mm-hmm. But that's that's my whole point that that I'm trying to make, right? I mean – if you're not going to have any point of cops, why even have that last scene? It doesn't, it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Because I think that people like me who watch it <clears> see <throat> that the police are probably investigating it the whole time. Well, of course they are. I mean, I understand assume. that. See, that's, see, that's what I even have a problem with too. Cause I, I understand that. I understand that 100% that the police are obviously investigating the serial killer. 100%. We get, we, we know that through video and, and clippings and stuff, but that's all we get. I mean, there's serial killers that have been around for fucking 20, 30 years and never got caught. Right. Zodiac. Just, yeah. Right? But not many people, not many of them, you know, and, and honestly, like, especially in like today's time, it's so hard to get away with shit. Oh, for especially sure. This is nobody's 19, wearing this is gloves. They're dropping hair everywhere. They're fucking taking scalps. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. I, you're going to get caught. Um, and but, I, I think that's I think that's one of the fucking coolest things that they put into the script too is is the scalping. Oh, and I guess of, even worse and, in the and, remake and, and kind of taking <laughs> that and taking that part from his victims and yeah. and creating like kind of keeping them alive, you know, a little bit. You know, it's just it's so fucking psychotic to do something like that and mm-hmm. and hear the voices and and talk to your mannequins and shit. It's a great idea having mannequins with you know real scalp on there it's great man it's so fucking great awesome shit but uh all right you want to go into ratings all right who went first last time me okay me so i'm up sure if you want to go sure nine and a half really kind of surprising yeah actually i'm a little bit surprised by that rating too um yeah this movie is just oh man there's so many damn good fucking scenes man like it's just filled with fantastic scenes one scene to the next like right up into the scene where zito and carol monroe's character they go to you know to visit his mom's grave that cemetery super atmospheric awesome Love that shit. I, you know, it still it still shocks me to this day that they allowed her to live in the movie. I don't know why, but every time I watch it, I'm like, man, get her. <laughs> I don't know. I just saw like, and I love her, man. She's like one of my favorites in the world. I, I don't so know. she can call the cops. Yeah, That's why. fuck, fuck that. I, one of my favorite scenes in the in the in the film is like the bathroom scene. I, I love the cinematography, the way it kind of pans out and shit, and he fucking snags her up and stuff. I, it's good shit, man. Um, but overall, man, this is just a fantastic, psychological, dramatic slasher, I guess. Full of great uh-huh. performances. Music's, I think the, the music in this one is just, it's so gritty and fits so well. 
where in the remake it's so different man it's got but it such it's the character yeah it does man it's like a totally yeah. different no i'm feel. saying in the remake you yeah, know it, it fits that, the character it does man the music fits the spinel look you know it's it's so gritty yeah. and it's dark it's very very dark where in the remake you know we have a different zito he's very good looking and the music is more pretty if that makes sense it's great um i'm also a nine and a half out of ten Um, yeah, I'm at a nine and a half out of ten too. It's one of the best slashers ever made. One of the best horror films ever made, in my opinion. It's so good. Is that a Hall of Famer? It is, I believe. Yeah, it's twenty eight and a half. Twenty eight and a half is a Hall of Fame. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. You know, one thing we didn't mention actually is in the film is some of the dialogue. Man, Zito's character, like, at times is super flamboyant. And I know it might be, like, a little bit of an act, too. And when he's dealing with the artsy stuff with Caroline Monroe's, you know, photography and stuff like that. But when he when he visit her, when he goes to visit her and he brings her that present, you know, the little stuffy or whatever. Uh-huh. And he just, he uses the word fabulous a lot. <laughs> it's, like, so fucked up. It's totally of the times. <laughs> like, that disco era, you know, using fabulous. Yeah. And it's just the dialogue is... Like all those type of words and shit, it just fits so damn perfect, man. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen Maniac Two? A little bit that's been released. Yeah. I've the it. Uh, the uh, Mr. Robbie. Yeah. Oh, little just short. a little bit of it. The little short. Yeah. Well, that's the only thing that was ever made. It yeah. was <clears throat> the idea behind it was to make a, uh, you know, a, a teaser almost for a company so that they could produce it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of in name only really. Yeah. It, it seemed like that he was playing a different character, but that was his response. He wanted to be more of a likable killer. Uh, <laughs> and the idea was that he was a ch- children's TV show, mm. which by the way, that's fucking creepy, right? Just <laughs> now it's awesome. <laughs> it dressed man. up it's, as a clown. It's it, totally fucking awesome. Hosted a TV kids TV show. My God. Yeah. <laughs> what a great idea. Um, but kids <laughs> whose parents were abusive, he was going <clears> to <throat> track them down and kill them. And that was basically maniac to Mr. Robbie. And then of course there's the last horror film, which has been released as maniac to a few times in different countries. Yeah. Um, pretty cool film. I think I watched it for 82, mm-hmm. but sorry, <clears throat> just, oh. hi, Anna. It's Frank. I'm sorry to bother you at this hour. I just wanted to know how long you wanted to keep the mannequins. I have another client who, Anna, what's wrong? Are you okay? But yeah, jumping into 2012 maniac remake directed by Frank Kafun. I don't know. I'm assuming he's probably French or something like that. French-Canadian. Produced by Alexander Aja and William Lustig. Oh, is he? He not, wrote it, too. Is, is he Aja actually, wrote it. Is he too. actually French-Canadian? He's actually not just from... He's not French? You didn't know that, JP? <laughs> what? Yeah. And Aja wrote it, too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he did the... He wrote the screenplay. Yes. Yeah. Underrated director, that guy. That's interesting. Yeah, he also directed uh, I Lived. Oh, yeah. I didn't like that one. That I one did. got me kicked off the list. You know, it's funny because I enjoyed that movie not expecting it. See, it's a movie you generally like. 
Yeah. And I generally don't like, and I actually kind of enjoyed that one. Wow, two totally different movies though. Yeah. And, uh, he also did P two. P two was cool. Yeah. I just got that. I'm and Amityville: The Awakening. Yeah, it's got some pretty interesting film. I didn't realize this guy was actually Canadian. I thought he was from. Oh fuck, that's weird. So, anyways, I mean, we don't really need to do a synopsis of Maniac. It's pretty much it's the exact same, thing. same core story. You know, Frank Zito killing bitches. Yep. Dude. He's, he's, into, he's into maniacs. He's into, I he, love this mannequins, movie I mean. so much, dude. <clears throat> My God. This Why? is one of the best fucking movies ever, dude. Dude, every fucking scene is shot so well. The lighting, it's fucking beautiful to look at. The music, everything about this movie is fucking amazing. I think truly I love the, it. the best thing about this movie is the style approach to the film. Well, it's all first person. For the most part. For, for the, the most, most part. It's for not the most all part. It's person. mostly done yeah. POV. It, the, the scenes that we get to see Zito's face in, uh, of course, played by... Um, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Um, it mostly reflections. There is a scene actually yeah. where he kills a girl in a parking lot where the camera actually pans camera, right around yep. and you get to yep. see him straight on, which is actually kind of cool. And of course, the last famous scene where he's getting yeah. attacked by his demons. That's it. But the style approach to this movie is so fucking unique and so cool, man. It's it's really inventive to do something like that. And I think it works so damn well. Oh my, dude! It really uh, does. It keeps you, your attention in the film, like so. You're like, wow, they're ever going to show his face? It's like, holy shit, this is really damn cool. I think you don't even get to see his face until like 15 minutes into the movie or something. It's kind of cool. Yeah, but isn't that most first person shot films? But where? What? Which ones? Where are their first person shot films? Hotel Inferno, Hardcore Henry. Uh, what was that one that takes place on? You are not alone. That shot in first person. Yeah, but that's uh, but that's like straight first person type shooter type film. Like this uh-huh. one's more stylistic because you know sure. you, you they, they're actually showing the reflections. They're using rearview mirrors and they're using you know mirrors sure. on on roofs and every opportunity mm-hmm. you have got to come up with these ideas in a very quirky and and very. I'm not saying it's not the best shot of those kind film. of films. Yeah. But you're, you're seeing like, I mean, dude. There's so much to like about this movie, like from the fucking jump, man, every scene, the title sequence, like the lights and like the scene where he's following the girl in the uh, like subway where nobody's Mm. around, like all the fluorescent light. It's just (laughs) the way that they fucking do that. Like you talk about uh, gritty 80s New York, they capture some kind of cold, like, like nighttime like the 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 skyline and the lights at the nighttime and stuff they do such a good job where in does this, this one actually as well. take place like, i think it's la is it because the is guy it? on the subway is reading a la times newspaper and it's like it's not like a popular oh, I newspaper I, I don't even think i even noticed that but yeah i mean yeah I, it is it is set in los angeles actually okay yeah. because like, like i would think of like if he was in la he'd be reading like the new york times i thought that funny, was interesting because that's funny to 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 say it looks cold and shit because it's completely yeah. cold there, but no, I don't mean like cold. I mean like cool, like windy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Like yeah, just, actually, just that's, a, that's like seems... a cool breezy night. Like Rewatch... that's what this whole film feels like. Rewatching it last night actually kind of made me, kind of made me laugh. Actually, that scene you're talking about in the uh, the train station or whatever, it, it reminded me of watching uh, Halloween two, <laughs> because I'm like. 
there's nobody fucking around. I'm like, that's insane. You're in a big ass city like that and you're not coming across one person. That's a long scene, you know, yeah. to be running through an entire train station and a big big city like that. I mean, you're probably going to come across one or two people. I mean, I've rolled the SkyTrain super late at nighttime too. And you know, it can be pretty desolate and pretty dead and shit like that, but you always come across yeah. somebody. There's always mm-hmm. somebody around. Like I just, I got that feeling. I was like, wow, it's very Halloween too. You know, you're in a hospital with nobody around. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I've always thought like very unlikely that nobody would be around, but I just don't care. Um, the, the, like man i mean dude i fucking this thing is so amazing to me like watching it i'm i'm just enthralled the entire time the like from from early on where you see the the first kill where he's just stock like the stalking is so good in this film and he's in his van and he sees that girl and he just starts following her and then he he's like i know where you live like he's talking to himself he goes up to her apartment he just stands behind her so and first he cuts the lights off stands behind her breathes a little bit she hears the breathing finally turns around and knife right up through the fucking mouth dude it's so good so then he scalps it my my question about that scene i know we've talked about this before and i tried to remember i didn't even really look into it but uh like the reason why they cg'd the um the scalping in that part mm-hmm. It had, CG I mean, a couple parts. I think it just yeah. There's there's CG throughout this entire yeah. film, but I just think that it looks really good. Well, I, it's it's really, practicals with CG. It's yeah. yeah you know. I think I think the reason why that part looks so CG though, I, I swear I read somewhere one time that they had done a practical for it, and it didn't turn out very well. So they actually put the CG over it. <clears throat> and yeah, stuff. That, it is practical with CG. Yeah, exactly. And you can tell it is. You can tell it is. But I think they just kind of overpowered on the cg because the practical effect didn't turn out that well and stuff but i posted this picture on instagram last night about maniac versus maniac and of course it started up a huge conversation people were like fucking commenting on left and right and someone had mentioned that they started to watch it when it came out and they got as far as that scene they're like fuck this i can't handle the cg and they turned what? it off and never watched Dude, it that again. cg looks amazing i was like holy shit i'm like wow that's very that's you know don't have a good but, attention yeah, you do you tell it's cg but i mean that is a really good cg effect i mean for like, the most it's... part for the most part the film is pretty much practical i mean there's a scene where he puts the uh uh the butcher knife i believe into that guy's face and and that's definitely yeah. cg a little bit there but somehow he gets up and it's gone and he <laughs> yeah, fucks him up yeah, exactly so but i mean the effects for the most part are definitely not on par with the original film i mean you don't have tom savini working on this movie i think that's what separates these movies big time is the yeah. effects apartments i mean yeah, the original stupid headache thing man i think all that's the, the kills... one part i don't like about this movie either like all... they could have cut is that it? out and it would have been like perfectly fine what? the whole the whole p- taking a pill migraine kind of thing why is I don't know. I just what did it add to the movie? Because he's fucking. It's showing that he's fucking psycho, dude. But don't we already know that he's psycho? And... That he's going and killing all these women, cutting their heads off. Like, what? What does that well, add? It, it to shows. The that he, it shows that he has anxiety and and he freaks out in situations. He gets like, migraines. He gets migraines because he needs to kill. Yeah, he starts freaking out and he's he gets like migraines because he needs to kill. Well, that doesn't well, make he, any sense to me. What do you mean? He's getting. He has anxiety, and when he's not killing, he is his fucking brains overact. He's getting migraines from it, man. He's just a crazy fucking person, dude. Like, I mean, he's he's talking to people, and he's starting to see their fucking scalps getting scalped. So, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like he's not crazy or anything. I just 
I don't know. I just I think they could have just cut that out and it would have been perfectly I think it has a little bit to do with it, man. I mean, the the scenes that they're showing where he's getting like all agitated and he's getting migraines and stuff is it's kind of the buildups to when he's killing. Yeah. And shit like that too, right? So Yeah, he's unstable and you know that we already know he's unstable though yeah but it's, it's just it's, one more thing to it's add just to more, it, one more thing to add to it dude. it really it's, is man i mean he tell he even says he's like I, I he suffers from a whole pile of shit obviously he says he's got migraines since he was a kid and shit but i think they they get to the point where he gets super agitated and he really you know he's got to take his shit yeah he's, he's lonely up. he's depressed he has anxiety he gets bad headaches like it's just all this on on top of the fact that he's you know dealing with some traumatic shit that went on with his mom and you got fucking a recipe for disaster yep and you know i love the scene where he meets the girl online and uh they, she plays the goodbye horses song it's shot really well she's like dancing well, i can shit. see how this film is highly influenced by uh the fuck's his name uh winding the guy who did drive like this movie has very Why similar aesthetics to them. Yeah, a movie has this movie has very similar aesthetics and soundtrack to that movie, especially the soundtrack. Like this, like soundtrack. But like, this, is, but this is when the the synth soundtrack was really making yeah. a huge comeback. I mean, if you look in the eighties and stuff, synth soundtrack was the norm. That's just what composers used. You know, it was synth was such a big thing, right? But yeah, but I think like Drive really brought it back. That film, it's like it's when did, super when did Drive come out though? Uh, what year? Twenty twelve. So it was no, 2011, 2011. So it was just before this movie came out, yeah. I mean, yeah. since soundtracks have been very, very prevalent in the last 10 years, I would say, at least. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, music is one thing I noticed and that I always notice in films. It, sometimes it makes or breaks movies for me, too. It's shitty soundtracks fucking kill my mentality when I watch oh, movies. I, fu- I fucking love Drive, man. That but this so fucking... And I get it, man. It's totally relatable to that, too. Drive soundtrack is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, I love it, and it definitely carries over. It's a good contrast to this film too. The soundtrack is amazing. It's so damn catchy. It's awesome. I'm a sucker for synth soundtracks, and I think it's I think it's appropriate that they went that route and didn't use a dark ass soundtrack because in this setting, it's not that gritty fucking New York setting where in the original, I think the the soundtrack fits perfectly from you know the locations, and here it's cleaner. You know, it's more upscale. You know he's dealing with more because scale it fits people. the character. He's, he's dealing with the pre- he's dealing with you know like Marilyn Manson said he's, you're dealing with the beautiful people, you know, and that's who he goes after. He goes after beautiful people and shit. And you know what I I love what they like when you talk about pure remake and like what you what you take from a film and you know expand upon. This film really does a great job with taking the idea of the mannequins and fleshing it out a little bit more. Like he has a mannequin shop mm-hmm. and it makes sense why he has all these mannequins. He's actually restoring retro mannequins from the 30s and 40s and 50s and you know it makes more sense for the relationship with Anna. It, the, the actual relationship with Anna actually feels a little bit more natural in this one. Um, and you know, her using the mannequins for the, her art show and like the whole, th- this whole film is very artistic and it, he brings it makes up sense that idea that, though. Right. Doesn't he, doesn't he mention it to her? He's like, yeah, I can lend you some. She mentioned, she, she mentions it. Yeah. Oh, is it her? Okay. Yeah, she asks him if she can use some, but she's like, just, I like the fact that? that they used, you know, foreign girls, you know, again, French. Yeah. She's yeah. French. And then the original <laughs> film, of course, you know, Carol Monroe's. Yeah, British. So that was cool. That was cool. 
Yeah, and I love that. Like this film has such a visual artistic style, but also the characters are dealing with art and like every kill and every um, setup is very beautiful. It's beautiful violence is the best way to describe it. You know, it's like the scene where he goes um, into the one woman's. you know, room while she's bathing in the bathtub and he like nudges the glass into her hand and he starts feeling the water. Like it's just so one creepy, but also visually so appealing, you know, with the music. And then he lifts his hand up in the little droplets, right? Imagine laying there in the bath with the rag over your face and hearing the little droplets and being like, wait a minute, what the fuck? How, why is there droplets? Mm. You know? And then she looks, she takes the thing off screams and you know, he grabs her and ties her up and fucking scalps her. It's just, there's scene after scene after scene. That was the know, old this, bitch, right? That was the, that was the, yeah, old, that was the agent. See, yeah. That's actually quite interesting. That kill in the movie is, is where they kind of elevated the, you know, the character of Zito a little bit because in the original film, the majority of, well, pretty much all the killings are pretty much random. They're not motivated by anger. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like in the original film, he's pretty much doing a random. And that kill in particular in the remake is completely spawned from anger. It spawns from a conversation that he has with her. She's totally talking down to him because mm-hmm. he deals with mannequins. And she's like, she's making fun of him. Like, what do you go dumpster diving and grab these? He's like, actually, no, you know, I pick these things up and I restore them. I oh, and she's totally making fun of him right to his face. Yeah. Right. And then he ultimately ends up, you know, well, it, it actually her. is interesting that you mentioned that because not only does it go against his MO of randomness, totally. it also goes against his MO of young girls because yep. it even says yep. in the, uh, newspaper clippings or on TV or something that the killer is specifically targeting young, pretty girls. Yeah. And she's not young. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty interesting that I thought about that. And it, I'd noticed that too. And, and it plays right into the fact that it was spawned from anger. It was, yeah. it was a revenge killing. And it's, it's totally interesting. They put that in there because it's a little bit out of character for him because that's not really what he was about. But, yeah, but I think it's also the the situation he's in is out of character of himself because he's falling for this girl, which isn't is not in his character. Yeah. So he he's doing things that are out of character at this point in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the the Achilles tendon slice, and then can we talk? Like, is the shot of the the silhouette in the you know, the car window, the reflection, not the, yeah. the fucking best nod in history to another, f- to, to another film. Like, is that not it, the it, fucking most genius thing ever written? It really is because it's not even, it's not copycat. It's not copying a kill, you know, paying homage. Like they, you know what they probably could have done, but they could have done the, you know, the head explosion type kill and shit, but they mm-hmm. didn't. And it's a good thing. They didn't. Yeah, Why not just pay homage to the to the to the fucking iconic poster art, dude? I, I thought that was one of the most creative, you know, nods of all time. Who does that? And Who does that? Generally, just, people rip off it, the remakes. They, to they, even they... think of doing that, like to even like get that idea in your head, like how can we pay homage and and to think of it that way was mm-hmm. just brilliant and by the way that kill is so good too where he just he slices the achilles tendon and just starts stabbing oh. the shit out of her <laughs> it's oh, a brutal dude, it's kill so man. Good. Yeah, yeah brutal 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 i love it 
Yeah, and it, it's interesting, you know. Instead of taking the scalp, he takes the whole fucking head. <laughs> Pretty much, it's like holy shit! It got really, it got real there, man. It's nuts. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just love the stalking scenes and just I, there's so much I love about this movie, man. You know, it just works on every level. Doctor Caligari was playing. Yeah, Doctor Caligari. I think I got the right. So <laughs> it does in the credits. It does have. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's weird because it's public domain, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. I don't like the original. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what? 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 What is your biggest? Well, like I think Marco wanted to know how this didn't make your top ten of 2013. I don't know. Just I think I was ir- ir- irresponsible at the time and didn't really care too much. So it's the same reason during that era that you know this is the era. Of course, now we're probably on my list. <laughs> I don't think I love it as much as you two love it, but it's still like a well-made film, of course. And we talked about the brutalness and everything like that. I just think on a personal level, I just didn't, I don't love it as much as you guys love it. It, it surprises me because of how well it's shot, how interesting it's shot, how you know the music plays with each of the murders, and it, it's just, it's like pieces of a puzzle just arranged perfectly throughout the entire movie like every scene from scene from scene every single scene in this movie is is so well done you know it's an interesting scene in this film that kind of elevated that whole story of you know Cito's backstory and in, in, it's summed up in one scene in this film it's a flashback scene where he's a kid 10 years old maybe and it's getting his mom's fucking on the street yeah like in a public setting like right yeah. on the fucking it's like sunset boulevard and she's getting fucking railed mm-hmm. and he's like watching it and shit it's like yeah that'll fuck you up and it, it's, yeah. it's 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 cool that they tell it like that too because you know a lot of these killings are you know they end up being sexual and things like that right it's it kind of mm-hmm. plays into the whole reason of why he's doing this and shit i, I like that i like that that they showed that it's cool yeah yeah but ratings yeah. moods um yeah it's a good film man i think it's you know overall the standout thing for me is the cinematography and the music it's fantastic i i do think that uh the fucking frodo does a good job in the film um like it, it's such a it's <laughs> i'll still never forget when i first found out that he was going to be playing Frank Zito and I was like, "What the fuck? How's like how's that gonna work?" It does? Well, it, you barely see him. It totally, but it totally works. I mean, you get to see enough of him, right? You hear his voice, I guess. Yeah, he pulls it off it, pretty it, well, though. It it works so well in it do, its it, own way. It's it does. different, but it really yeah, does. Yeah. It really does. Um, yeah, I don't. I, you know, overall, it's still a really fantastic film. Um, I, I don't know if it would still make my top or my number one of twelve or when when did this go thirteen? Well, technically, we did it in thirteen, but if if we did it retroactively, now it would be twelve. Yeah, it'd be twelve. I mean, I have to look at the other films that even came out that year. I just remember it being number one in thirteen, but I don't think that we also prepped as much as we did. Yeah. That we do now for those shows. I think it's pretty obvious that we didn't, but uh, still a really fantastic film. A really great and know the <laughs> uh, noteworthy remake, you know, put this in a pile of great remakes and stuff. I mean, there is people out there that don't care for this film and I still don't understand why, you know, everyone's 
a lot of so many people have that mentality. It's like you know the original is so fucking good, you know. Blah, blah blah. I'm like, yeah, but why can't the remake be good too? Well, you just watched the Hills Have Eyes remake. Is it as good as the original? I love the remake, man. I think it's great. You know, I mean, I, I go back and forth on him too. I always, I always bust Zach's balls because he like flat out says he loves the remake more than the original film. I'm like, really? I do. I'm like, yeah. I mean, Joe, I, Joe I, Bob does too. I understand that. I understand completely why. You know, and I might even, I might even change my mind last night too. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a really great and well done film. Um, and this this one's on the same level. I don't think it's as good as the original film. It has its moments though. It really does. You know, I still looking back on this in retrospect, like, you know, the killings are brutal, but they definitely didn't. It was probably a style choice not to, you know, overtake the original. I mean, the original film is so fucking gory, man. It really is. There's some nasty ass gore in this one. Doesn't this one is gory at times, but it's not that elevated level. It's probably a style choice. Nine out of ten. So you actually went down a half point. Yeah. Um, dude, I I like this one more than the original, honestly. Uh, I think it's a better movie. Um, wow. I just love everything about it. There's nothing that I don't like about this one. Um, I love both films almost equally, but this one just edges it out for me. It's probably, in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best remake ever made. And I God give it a damn. 10. God damn. So you like this one more than the uh, Chainsaw remake? I gave that a 10 too. That's what I'm saying. But do you like well, it Well, the Chainsaw remake isn't better than the original Chainsaw. That's the only difference here. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. I was not expecting to come into the 10. Holy shit. That just blew my fucking mind. Well, I gave it a 9.5 back in 2013, but so you watching went, it So you time, went the opposite way. I went, I went down half and you went yeah, up half. So you just, you just took my 0.5. Yeah, I did. There you go. You're sharing. Sharing is caring. Uh, eight from me. I hate both of you guys. Dude, Jeremy's the one that fucked it for the Hall of Fame. Eight? There you go. You can't say shit to me, man. Nine's a pretty fair fucking, fucking score. Nine's here. a pretty fucking fair score. Even if I stuck with my 9.5, it still doesn't make the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the guy who gave fucking cremator six. Yeah, because it's fucking boring and nothing happens. Oh, oh my fuck. Holy shit. So much happens. There. Oh my god. And come hands <sighs> of steel of four. Yeah, that movie sucked too. Oh my god. You don't like to have fun. I mean, I could see hands of steel being low scored, but I mean, four does seem pretty fuck even for you. That's pretty low. I'm fucking pissed Maniac's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm a little I'm bit so shocked. so mad. I thought Jeremy that. liked it more, to be honest. But I don't know why he doesn't. It's so good. It seems right up his alley, too. It just seems like a film he would love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess not, though. Maybe I'll have to watch it again in five years. <laughs> it's, I. You yeah. don't give him any 10, so it has to be good. I don't give too many, but I'll be curious how many tens you've given it. To Derek, where's Derek when we need him? How many tens have JP given? Less than, probably less than moods, but not less than you, I'd say. Well, I've given, I haven't given a ten in a long time though. Because I've never the, I've only had. Uh, I haven't given I that I, many. I don't I think I gave one ten last year. What did you have? What did you give a ten to? 
I don't think I gave a 10, 110 last year. I gave two in 2018. Actually, in the last two years, like even on the top ten shows, I have given I've given some top yeah tens. Yeah, you get you gave Brimstone a ten. What was what was your number one oh, last year? Brimstone. I gave Sacred Deer a ten and Black Coat's Daughter a ten. Those are the only two films I gave a ten last year. No, I'm saying what was Moods is that wasn't that wasn't last year. I know. I'm saying I didn't give one ten last year. What was last year? I'm asking you. What the moods gave number one last year? Both of you guys. Jesus I gave Assassination Nation. And what'd you have, moods? I don't remember. What the hell was my number one last year? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I fucking don't remember. Uh, hereditary. Oh, yeah. Hereditary. Oh, yeah. yeah, shit. I was like trying to think of what the hell last year was. <laughs> Fuck. I yeah. don't remember. Did I give it a 10? I gave Hereditary a 10. Okay. But for the I longest time. Did. I didn't give a 10 in 2016, 2015, 2014, or 2012. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. All of them. I, in fact, my number uh, of – I had 9.5 for The Witch in, in 2016. Uh, 2015, I had uh, – my number one was – it. Uh, Landmine Goes Click at 9.5. Oh, and then in 2014, the Sacrament at a 9. My first 10 I ever gave in a year, uh, a modern year, was uh, 2017, which was um, It Comes at Night. I've only reviewed, I've only given 29 out of 918 films five stars. Yeah, but that's different because 9.5 hits five as well. No, not for me. 9.5. I only give five stars to 10 rated films. Oh, really? Yep. And how many did you give? You still got twenty nine. You got to update the website here, Maze. I know. I'm I'm way behind. But I have Threads. Threads is like one of my favorite newly discovered films. Man, that movie's amazing. That's a ten for sure. Yeah, it's only one that you're brimstone. Yeah. I love Threads, man. That movie's so fucking good. Oh man, that movie's fucked. Oh, it's amazing. It's hard to believe that was a TV movie, man. That is I know. crazy, dude. Even JP gave it a 5 out of 5. Yeah. I'm the one that told you to watch it, you fuck. That would be a, that would be a fun show if someone would pick that for a top 10, top 10 TV horror films. All well, time. unfortunately, we can't do that or else we'd get to say we stole it from Exploding Heads, so... <laughs> <laughs> But it doesn't matter because we're still the number one Patreon anyway. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's so... J- or JP's going to be fuming about that for a while now. What? That's all right. <laughs> You're fucking eight. He gives a 10. He gives an eight. That's just fucking... Yeah. Wow. Man. I'm glad I was uh, where I was because holy shit, man. Fuck. I've given 60 films out of over 1500 of five but like i said 9.5s fit there too so probably cut that in half dude what the fuck man i wanted maniac to be in the hall of fame so bad where's brandon i knew i should have pulled brandon or carly or somebody onto the show it's bullshit does carly like it as much as you do i think so and so, and Brandon, it was his number one slasher of all time. So, 
We need some more fucking shit picks, man. We got to build up this Hall of Pain. This is bullshit. Yeah. That well, was, we hopefully at the end of March. Well, I, guess, I guess there still is some to add to this, isn't there? Last ones are Pokemon. Uh, so there's been, there's no, been is there? Yeah. Like caught up? Yeah, I think there's one that we've added. Yeah, there's definitely something that we added recently. Didn't we add one recently? What was it? Uh, give me a minute. Oh yeah, there was something. We gave it a it was like it was like four it was nine nine point five out of ten. Yeah. It was it was like the highest Hall of Painter. Yeah, I'm ever. trying to think of what it was now. I can't remember. It was just recently. It had to be a feature review, right? Yeah. Oh, it was a uh, Gorda. I, no, oh, it, was, yeah, it was a bonus Gorda. review. It was the bonus review. Gorda. Yeah. The Thai film. The Thai film. <laughs> With a nine point five out of ten, uh, thirty. Yeah, that was from the Thing show. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I really need to update not only the ratings, but the, I don't have the twenty eighteen list. I don't have the nineteen eighty two list on there yet. Yeah. You have episode one fifty one under the episodes. Yeah, that's two top ten lists. Oof, you don't want to get that too far behind. I should be caught up almost on the episodes. I think. No, if you click on episodes, it's only up to 151. No, nah, that's not the right place. Where do you click episodes on the top? Where else would you click on it? No, I just didn't. I didn't add them over there yet, but they're they're on the site. Well, don't uh, you think you should add them over there? Oh, fuck. Yeah, I could add them. Anyway, that's it. Okay, am I doing my outro? Yeah, man, that's it for episode 156, OG vs. Remake, Maniac, baby, baby, kick us out. Okay, thank you everybody for listening to episode 156 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Podcast. If you want to follow the man Moods himself, you could do so at youtube.com slash mood 616 and go over there and tell me you be better at his intro. Yes. So as you can follow JP on his channel, youtube.com slash doubleshotj. Follow me on my channel, but I haven't uploaded a video in 15 months. YouTube.com slash NESRuler22. And as always, if you have any questions that you want to leave as a voicemail and your name is not Peter, you could do so at 724-426-6665. Leave us any questions you have at the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror at gmail.com. That's the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash 22 Shots Podcast. Join us on the Facebook page, facebook.com, search bar, 22 Shots Podcast. Join us on the discords, even though Moods never will put the link down below. The link will be down below, hopefully. And as always, please support the Patreon to get the sand sucked out of my vagina. Patreon.com slash 22 Shots Podcast. That should do it, everybody, for episode 156 of the 22 Shots Moods and Horror Podcast. We'll be back next week with the Dead franchise. Oh, yeah, buddy. I would like to take this opportunity to explain why farts are funny and queefs are not. Men have always joked about farts, and we in fact name our farts. We have the squeaker, and then there's the foghorn, and the don't be scared, and of course there's the... Excuse me! Well, if that really is your argument, it isn't a very sound one. Women name their queefs, too. That's what we do. For instance, we have the sneezing unicorn and the resuscitator. Yeah, stop it, lady! That's not the same! We've got the Chinese firecracker! 
That's all well and good, but we can do the Rogue Warrior! No! We go in! We kill! No more talk! We kill! Soon, my dog of war, but we have to do it my way. Lucas! Lucas, wait! Ah! Jesus Christ! <laughs>